Hello there, my little swarm casting uh, pod people! Woo! It is I, once again, Count Mudman Manus, back with another scary, spooky ween episode of the Swarmcast Podcast! <laughs> On tonight's episode, we've got. Brian Crenshaw in our designer's dungeon! Woo! Talking about Survive the Night, a horror survival game RPG! Woo! Spooky stuff there! We've also got a quick draw review of Mothership, a sci fi horror RPG! We've got lots of board game reviews of many, many spooky, scary board games. Whoa. And uh, Ed Jowett from Shades of Vengeance is going to come on and talk with us about his Kickstarter for uh, Era Lost Legends. Whoa. Did I make that last one sound spooky enough? Okay. But first... Let's start things off by paying a visit to the Swarmcast Podcast Studios. Way in the back, back area of that uh, Gravy Jones Locker Restaurant. I hear that Wednesday nights are Taco Tuesday. Huh? Oh no. What happens when a twisted robotic intelligence meets a wish granting First item. Ooh. Sit back, my little uh, pod-headed ones, and listen to a spooky, scary tale of terror. One that I like to call The Curse of the Monkey Wrench. Ooh. Ooh. It's going to be some scary stuff, I tell you, buddy. Alright, start the show. The Swarmcast Podcast is recorded, mixed, and produced on the poop deck of Gravy Jones Locker in the heart of Columbia, South Carolina. On the show, we talk about the gaming hobby and random fandom. Opinions on this show are... Daisy Daisy. I'm Toast, your cobalt announcer, and now... Prepare to delve into the mind of your host, John Minas! Partner, why don't I pour you a sarsaparilla? It's about high noon here in the Swarmcast Saloon. Never mean only one thing. It's about time for a quick draw. Bing, bing. Bing, bing. Bing, bing. Bing, bing. 
It's time once again for another quick draw. Oh, shaking it up with a few zaps in there. Interesting. So today we're going to be doing a quick draw uh, review of the one shot for Mothership, the sci-fi horror RPG from Tuesday Night Games. The particular scenario we're going to be talking about is called The Haunting of Ypsilon 14. So I was the GM. That's me, John. Hey, guys. How's it going? And the players this time were... Ruby. Tim. Calvin. Nini. Sam. Dell. So the general system sort of setting or the gist of this is it's a sci-fi horror that's set in space. The base, Some basic core rules stuff for this game is it uses percentile dice, so D10s, and it's a lot of narrative-driven stuff. So if you're going to play this game, you're going to need a, um, a hefty amount of D10s. Well, maybe not as, as hefty as, as certain games like World of Darkness or something like that, but you get the idea. Hey, John. Mm-hmm. How easy was it to learn and prep for the game? It wasn't really that hard to learn the game and then to prep for the game. But that being said, I put a lot more effort into prepping for the game than it probably called for. That's I true. Drew out a big, I drew out a big map. I had all these little things cut out because part of that was just to help me out. It really didn't take a lot. Um, it was It was kind of weird, though, because... The one-shot itself is just a little pamphlet. It really has no mm-hmm. um, rules for the base game. But then I had to use the player survival guide, which has the actual rules for how to how to uh, make the character and, and play the game. Right. And I'm also going to note that we set up this, this particular game about a month ago. So John's reread it I don't know how many times. Right, so, right. So. But if you were to just pick this up, uh, you wouldn't really be able to run Ypsilon by itself. You would need the um, player survival guide to be able to do that. Um, but I would say maybe if you read through it in about an hour or so, you could... Or maybe just the day before. Or the day before. Yeah, you could be good to go, prepped, prepped to run it. Okay. Well, what about the rest for the players? How easy was it for all of us here at the table to pick up the rules? It was really quick pretty simple to go through it um yeah character creation was was pretty quick smooth mm-hmm. process there were like f- really only like five steps honestly to making the character so that All was right. kind of nice and the sheets literally had dotted lines from step one to step two yeah. to step three <laughs> well that 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 kind of rolls into the next question uh how easy was it to create characters yeah. i'm gonna right. i'm gonna say that at first blush, when you look at the character sheet, it looks really complicated because there's a lot of small print. There's a lot of lines and arrows pointing in directions. But when you take a moment and actually look at the sheet, it's it steps you through it. It literally says step one and puts arrows to where you need to go and what needs to be added together. And yeah, so if, if you have an aversion to AutoCAD and flowcharts, this thing will... will. <laughs> will break your, your brain. <laughs> yeah. So, as far as the character creation, any other? No, it's pretty easy. Um, I think that was the easiest RPG that I've played, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Character creation. Okay. But but as far as the rules themselves, they, they weren't too bad. No, it's yeah. mo- it mostly percentage-based. Mm-hmm. No, yeah. I think the most confusing thing about the rule set was the whole uh, high numbers, uh, high percentiles it's are bad. bad uh-huh. But then there's the one key role for panic checks, which... 
high. That's the one time that you high want, rolls are yeah, good. That you want to get high. It gets, and that gets high. Yeah. yeah, that gets kind of odd. But other than that, no, the rules weren't bad at all. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, I, I agree. The the there's a bit of a switch up between okay, wait, now you're not rolling percentages. Now you're just rolling d10s and adding them together versus just rolling percentages all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do like the fact that they were able to keep it all within just using a d10. It wasn't anything like, well, now I hit. Now let me roll a d4 and a d8 and five d7s. Right. And then add sixteen on top of that. Right. So yeah, again. there there's not there's not uh, modifiers or garbage like that because you have to add in to all your rolls no that per that, se no the modifiers were all pretty simple i think that was mm-hmm. yeah it's when you're especially when you're dealing with percentile based games when you start to get into a bunch of modifiers that overly complicate the game that is a turnoff on any percentile based game so when we first sat down and you explained it's percentile based, I think everyone at the table was like, "Oh, nah, I was but good." It, but it was—I agree. I—I I, I know what you mean. Because there's a stigma <laughs> to to percentile based games, and that and that's it. Is we that did crack a few rifts and stuff, jokes. Yeah, you know? it's it's <laughs> yeah. because percentile. Live in a bit of Cthulhu, yeah. right? But this one was actually really quite simple. So how did we enjoy the adventure? When we when we got to the adventure, <laughs> yeah. it it was it was good. It was um, I think we inadvertently missed a lot of the creepy stuff, stuff um, simply by us full, being us. Full and, diclo- uh, disclosure: we all like to goof around yeah. and be a little chaotic and crazy. And I think all of us in our mind when we're like, "Oh, this is a one shot. We can be crazy." I think maybe that got overdone a little at the beginning. <laughs> We had all the freedom to do whatever right. we want with a ship. Well, that is one of the so. traits of a narrative game, is mm-hmm. it lets the players themselves mm-hmm. just goof around and, and tell a story together and, and whatnot. Well, and when you're trying to, if you're talking about evaluating a game, it definitely let us put the game through its paces as yeah. far as the rules go. Yeah. Now, I do have a rules question. Quickly. We Ooh. never used Resolve. Uh, we never used that uh, stat skill, whatever that is. We never used it. Well, it it didn't really come into play. It's is that it, for it, it helps you out when you're trying to to make the panic check. Okay. Um, it's either going to give you a bonus to that that panic check, or well, it's going to give you a bonus to to resist that panic check. But since you all had to resolve a zero, it didn't really. So is that something that builds in. up as you gain levels? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So like okay. like in Deadlands, how you get grit and that eventually adds mm-hmm. to your fear check. It's sort of like that. Got it. Okay. See, that makes yeah. That makes yeah. The more sense. the more you know. I've been out the in more space. Seasoned. I've looked out into the black so many years. Nothing phases me anymore. Mm-hmm. You know that kind of thing. And then the cat right. appears out of the <laughs> shaft. <laughs> oh god, I can't. Yeah. Well, anyway, back to the adventure part of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, as Calvin, as we said, we 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 did we did spend a lot of time on our own ship before actually getting to the adventure. I, it was still a lot of oh, fun yeah. that the system was flexible enough to let us get off to our own shenanigans and have a great time as a group, mm-hmm. and then come back around to the primary to actually, adventure yeah, path to, to finishing up the adventure. Oh, oh yeah, because yeah. that that being said, you know, you guys stuck around on the ship doing your stuff, and I was like, well, the adventure's still gonna. The adventure is still going to happen whether or not you're in the same place that it's going to happen. And it's just going to give it a very different vibe at that point. Right. Mm-hmm. And well, it did because it started off, oh, we're wait, weren't we just talking to some people? Why is this place abandoned and there's nothing here now? Well, so the adventure being, you know, pamphlet size makes uh-huh. for a nice quick evening of play. 
Uh, one question I do have about the adventure is, um, uh, in so typical John fashion, John uh, had uh, extra props. So there were audio recordings that you made. Was that something scripted out of the adventure? Oh, yes. Or was that? That is definitely something we should talk about. So yeah. the um, on the back, it tells it ha- it has the three audio things that are supposed to be on there. Oh, and it says cool. okay. And it says you can go to our website and download these audio files. They do not exist on their website. Oh, so so I created the audio files. So did you did but did you improvise to create the audio files or was the script there? They are scripted. The script is right there. Okay. Yep. Yes, but John is old and we had a mini cassette recorder and cassettes still here in the house. Which was epic. It was awesome. It specifically talks about finding a cassette recorder and cassette tape. So I was like, well, then I will use a cassette recorder and cassette tapes. And we and, do own them. Because that, <laughs> it that adds something adventure. to it. It does. It does. And is it, it brought back memories because I used to have one of these. <laughs> I, think, I think it added to the, the creepiness yeah, factor yeah. more so than if I was like just playing an MP3. Well, for because you cassettes yeah. have a, that grainy yeah. sound grainy, anyway. Grainy. Well, plus, yeah. plus, I did things like, well, I'm purposely not going to just rewind the tape. I'll let them figure that out. And I'm going to... I'm going to set the playback to the lowest thing so that if they get one of these ones where someone's talking, it's going to sound like some weird alien monster making gurgling noises or something. <laughs> and of course, the person who out. took the uh, recorder was the one person who probably never touched a, a recorder ever before. before. Recorder. Re- yeah, I and almost I put it in upside down and backwards. Recorder challenged. <laughs> so, the, uh, so the other question that I had about that was, mm-hmm. so when we sat down to play, another thing that we talked about, we all started cracking kind of 80s jokes talking about alien yeah. and aliens mm-hmm. is is this build as an 80s sci-fi horror game because it, it definitely had that feel. yeah, it feels is, like it is, aliens it is very much and, built around that vibe that uh that 80s retro futurist vibe well sort of because if you're a fan is, of that genre mm-hmm. it if you're a fan right. of 80s sci-fi horror genre of the the aliens the some of those other crazy shows you this game definitely has that nostalgia feel right so i guess we all kind of agree that it did capture the theme and the setting yes, absolutely okay yes now I, I got a question as far as that goes because it's to me it's always really hard to to really upsell a the horror aspect in rpgs because you go into it knowing oh i'm playing a horror sci-fi thing. right how well do you think this pulled that off? I'm going to be honest, because we were all goofing around mm. way too much at the beginning, there wasn't enough <laughs> tension for me. Okay. As far as... and uh, That's yeah, GM group-based. But mean, that was a group, right. Off, right pull that off was a genre, group, that's right. GM group-based. Right. It ended we up all, being like a murder mystery for right, us instead right. of a horror. Right. But I could see... But I also think that if we had gotten off our ship when we were supposed yes. to it would have been more horror-y yeah, than it definitely. goes back to what I said earlier right. where we skipped we like, inadvertently skipped right. a lot of the horror aspect of it right. we the, missed all the, the murders the stuff that okay. built the tension well Tim Tim was really re- reacting to a lot <laughs> yeah. of stuff yeah. in that very yeah very well I mean I've, I've been in I've played grown many horror games before so right. you know I, I, I know how I want my players to act and it was like well I'm going to do it this time because Someone's got to. <laughs> and you failed a lot of fear checks as well. So You're like, well, it's a horror game, so it's yeah, okay for me to go out on the ship. I made myself. them when they counted, right. which yeah. is weird. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, overall, did we enjoy this quick play? 
Yeah. 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 It was entertaining. I totally did. Okay. I I enjoyed it. I enjoyed making the the weird map and stuff. Yes. I enjoyed asking you guys these these questions about like what your ship was named and what type <laughs> of ship it was. Well, so based on so also fun. based on the scenario, how long was the play intended to be? I mean, it took us five hours ish. Mm, yeah, it we took started through, around six. And so it's four hours. Four hours ish. So which it took good. us about. Yeah, well, we I I knew that ours was going to be padded out by a few hours, but I get the impression that they probably think this is going to get played in about a two hour, two to three hour. Well, that's quick type, okay. type of thing. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. Um, but I padded a lot of the front stuff and because uh, i i felt it was needed to make it more enjoyable give you got make you guys sort of <laughs> vested in your character some kind of immersion instead yeah. of me instead of if i just started off by saying all right well your ship lands on uh this this mining place because you're because you're, you're yeah. you stopped off to get supplies and you would have been like eh, okay yeah yeah i agree okay so i had to establish we had to establish characters. But first. overall, we all enjoyed it. Definitely, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely, mm-hmm. very much so. And we made a real cool story about our ship and everything. <laughs> uh-huh. Our yeah, ship, yeah, which yeah. which is now sitting derelict <laughs> on, a, on an asteroid with things. Yeah, it's so, not so derelict, it's semi-functional. Cool. So your, yes. shi- your ship was called the Bad Alibi. <laughs> well, in, 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 in game, great. we literally ended up here by accident. Yes. Yeah. It was a critical <laughs> fail roll that brought us two, here. Two. Two. Two, two yes, critical two fail critical rolls that brought so us here. So he failed us into so the totally, plot. So totally by accident we ended up here, which was entertaining Which was well. entertaining. I, w- I was trying to throw little things in there to get you there, and it's like, oh, well, if they're going to do it themselves. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. So well, if you want to crash land here, sure. Yeah. <laughs> so that being said, would you be interested in playing more of this game, be it either one shot or try a longer, like, two or three session type thing? I definitely would. Yeah. Yeah, me too, as long as it's not that brutal. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was, was pretty rough. But yeah, I would definitely... I get the impression they're all supposed to be kind of brutal. So. Right. <laughs> uh, well, and it might be interesting, too, to see... It, it might be interesting, too, to see what you could really throw at someone with a truly seasoned character. Uh-huh. Yeah. That might be very entertaining. Yeah, okay. Yeah, and as, as you progress and get levels, you would unlock some more of these these skills, the the master skills. It kind of... It kind of reminds me of like Kobolds Ate My Baby, where you're expected yes. to die, but if you don't, you get to progress. Mm-hmm. So I right. had made a comment. It did have that feel when we sat down. I had made a comment about how the um, the panic check kind of reminded me of the um, death checks, yeah. the horrible death checks in Kobolds Ate My Baby. And then after I said that, that kind of dawned on me too. I was like, wow, this is is weirdly like that in a lot of really bizarre ways. Yeah. Right. So. Where can people get this quick play or the full game? Well, if you go to MothershipRPG.com, you can buy it directly from Tuesday Night Games. And that's uh, Tuesday Night spelled with a K, so Tuesday Connecticut Games. Or if you go to DriveThruRPG, you can get the Player Survival Guide PDF that, that I just talked to you about, which is currently on a pay-what-you-want um, pay kind of model. but. Mm-hmm. I think the suggested thing is like seven or eight bucks if you want to throw that. And it's it's pretty cool. It's worth it at that point. Now, the adventure we played, the, um, what's it called? Uh, Haunting of Ypsilon 14 was a con exclusive one shot in its little pamphlet form. So you would have to find Tuesday Night Games at a con 
we got these from Origins. I think they might have brought them to like Gen Con or something like that. Yeah, I don't know. Um, but I'm sure if you um, contact them and say, hey, I heard about <laughs> this game on the Swarmcast podcast, I'm sure they'll be able to hook you up. And I will say this. I know we got a few of them. We do. That we will have at Scarab that we will probably give away. Correct. Because there may or may not be a game of this running at Scarab. Wink, wink. Wink. Huh. I wink at the microphone. He's going to be competing with Tim, who's running Aliens. Aliens, the RPG, yes. And uh, Mary's also going to be running Survive the, the Night, Night, which is another uh, horror thing. So it's just going to be a horrible experience. No, wait. A horrifying experience. Oh, you know, there's no good way to say that. Go to scare him. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> what so. are some other things about this? I know you have a few notes. Okay. So... Not the Ypsilon, but the um, the actual player survivor's guide was the 2019 Any Award winner for best game. That's pretty cool. That was a big deal for them. They got that. And the the scenario adventure they put out called Dead Planet, which you can also get through all those different sources, got silver, uh, silver Any Award for best adventure. Uh, and currently, currently though, and this is the interesting part, this is not the full game. As I said, this is the player survival guide. So it's only the player facing side of that so there's not a ton of um narrator storyteller gm side of that all i have is the base rules to go by because it's still currently being alpha tested according to their website um and they've made mention that the full game the full release of mothership is going to be released sometime in 2020 and it's going to be something to look out for on kickstarter cool interesting well that could be very interesting right so once again, we have been playing Mothership, the sci-fi horror RPG, and I guess that concludes our quick quick draw, our quick start yeah. review. Pew 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 now back to uh, hey hey jelly what are you doing here oh hey bro i just want to get a few modifications to this no fomo no mo here oh. <laughs> modifications huh yeah you know as the new head of your sock mag uh, social media uh, anyway i figure i can get it to aggregate and post uh up various huh. sites and such i mean it's already a bot, so why not make it also, you know? I don't know if I understand this, but who cares? This is all stuff I don't have to do, so that makes it better. <laughs> I really worry about you sometimes, Tess. <laughs> oh, is that my lucky monkey wrench? Oh, I'm not singing that song. What? What? <sighs> I mean, that's just a... Oh, fine, okay. So, yes, I'm using this monkey wrench to fix things up. I just wish I could get it to network correctly. Now generating memes. You have a new request for an interview. Wow, that was pretty fast. So, so what, what, what meme did it create? Let's see. Uh, it looks like a mouse yelling or something. <laughs> All right, then. Nothing bad should come from this. Ha, <laughs> Now I just wish somebody would do something with those busted up John bots over there. Oh, yeah, they're kind of creepy with those mustaches. Ugh. Ah, 
Whatever. Let's go get some lunch. Ha <laughs> Uh, no fama no more. Cue up the designer's dungeon. <laughs> now starting designer's dungeon segment. Initiating combination sequence. Hey, Toast, what's behind this door? It's the designer's dungeon! Oh, yeah. you didn't. Yes, I sure did! Ah, <laughs> uh, Toast. Locked him up. I didn't mean actually keep designers yeah. in the dungeon. Well, it's too bad. They're there. Well, let's go talk to them. Yeah, <laughs> they're making, like, rough them up or something. Hello there, Swarmcast listeners. This is John. I'm here, and you're listening to this, this well, the Swarmcast podcast, obviously, because this isn't like a radio station where you just randomly tune in. Although, wouldn't that be interesting? Uh, and if you're listening to this episode, you are listening to our October episode, probably our Halloween episode. So we decided for a change to do something kind of spooky for a Halloween episode, or at least focus on something a little spooky. So I am joined here with somebody who hasn't been on the show in quite some time, uh, Mary Harbo. How are you doing? I'm doing good. It's great to be here. So, uh, so what what is sort of your uh, what is sort of your your role or such with the Scarab Gaming Convention, Mary? Well, I'm one of the coordinators for the Open Gaming Track. That's the non-organized um, RPG play. So. It sounds kind of silly to say non-organized, but like it's not um, organized play like D&D Adventures or Pathfinder. It's just kind of um, a variety of games mm-hmm. that you can just jump right into for a one shot with no experience and no need to have an ongoing storyline. Just fun play. Right. That's cool. So so Mary's actually the person that if you're going to email Scarab to to say hey I want to run a game or submit an RPG uh, submission Mary's going to be the person who's going to probably be the one resp- responding to you and setting up your your schedule yes I set the schedule for the open RPG track mm-hmm. and um, coordinate with all the GMs and make sure everything's good to go on the day of the convention that's right so if anything goes wrong it's not her fault it's your fault just remember that GGMs out there. But I would be most happy to help you fix it, <laughs> whatever it is. So I, I have Mary on with me right now uh, for, for a variety of reasons, uh, but mostly because we are going to be talking with the creator of Survive the Night, uh, a horror RPG. So we have Brian Crenshaw with us. How are you doing, Brian? Doing just fine, John. Uh, thanks for having me. So you are... You are contacting us from the state of California, if I'm not mistaken? Yes, currently uh, in Richmond. It's pretty close to San Francisco. Okay. So where where were you? Because you had, uh, when, I, when I got in contact with you, you said you had just moved just recently. So where were you coming from? Uh, well, I've bounced around in the California area a little bit uh, since I got here last year, as it turns out. Rent is difficult here. Oh. <laughs> uh, they they might they mentioned that in the pamphlet, if we're being honest. Uh, <laughs> but I've spent most of my life in Ohio, which is where we started the game and uh, where we spent a year promoting it before it went up on Kickstarter. Okay, so I think I will will then. Um, I, I mentioned briefly that Survive the Night is a horror RPG. Is that accurate, or how? What would you? Uh, what would your your quick elevator pitch of the game be? It is a it is definitely a horror RPG. Uh, we usually throw in the term survival horror, uh, 
Survival okay. Horror one shot with uh, usually between two and four hour playtime. Uh, it, it plays a lot like Dungeons and Dragons, like most tabletop RPGs do, but the rules are designed to be really straightforward, really beginner friendly. Uh, it focuses a lot on the narrative of the experience. Okay, well that's pretty cool. So Mary, you had you had brought this uh, this game to my attention because you said, "Hey, this guy really wants to be on the show," and uh, and you you were saying that you were you were interested. I think you said you were excited about it and that you were going to be running some of this at Scarab. So. Uh, I'm going to throw it to you. How did you come across this game and, and, and such? Well, so the way I found out about this, um, one of our Scarab associates was at the Origins convention in Ohio this summer and ran into Brian there, who was promoting his game. I think, did you have some demos running at that convention, Brian? We we did. Uh, I actually met uh, Brian from Scarab. Yes, Brian <laughs> I met Gambrell. him in the hallway, though fixing a uh he helped me fix a sign <laughs> uh-huh. and he told me that about this game and that you had that he had talked to you a little bit about scarab and that you were interested in maybe um getting some demos going at our convention too and i love horror games so that's that's like one of my favorite genres so i was really excited it's like yes we need to get this game here so and unfortunately California is a little far for you to travel, so what I'm going to be doing is actually running some demos myself there, and you were kind enough to share your game with me, and I've been looking over it and I'm really excited about what I'm seeing. Well, I'm really, uh, we, we really appreciate you taking it over for us. I, I do a lot of traveling between Ohio and California, and it was going to be a bear trying to get to South Carolina on top of it. Well, I understand that. But yeah, it's supposed to be easy to pick up, and I mean, you know, for, for people like us who do a lot of gaming, that shouldn't, that that's no no real obstacle. Um, I'm I'm happy that you're excited about it. That's that's what we wrote it for. <laughs> uh-huh. So I can see the mechanics look pretty straightforward. It's just one d6, and the narrator, which is what the GM is called in the system, has a lot of freedom for setting difficulties on the rolls. So it seems like it would be really easy both to run and to play um, just for the first time. And I like that in a game, especially at a convention like ours, people come in and they want a quick experience, a game they they can get right into and play and not have to um, know the rules and or worry about that too much. People that people that really like rules, they go play D&D and Pathfinder and Shadowrun <laughs> and stuff like that and have lots of rules. Um, this is a lot better for my track because it's just very intuitive, very simple, and more about the story. That's by design. That's, that's absolutely my feeling um, when it comes to game design and what games work well. Not to say I haven't enjoyed, you know, some, some games of Dungeons & Dragons in my day, but if, if simple rules, complex gameplay is one of our mantras, and that's... That's absolutely what we went for with this. I will say that we've had a lot of success with com- people completely new to, to role-playing games. That's how we knew that we wanted to try to push this uh, for a public release in the first place. A lot of people completely new to gaming were coming to our, you know, just for fun uh, sessions that I was having with my friends. But there there's uh, enough mechanical depth, maybe not to satisfy the, you know, the munchkins out there. 
but uh, you can you can min max a little bit in the system if that's if you really like to get into combat mechanics and things like that. And you have the panic table uh, fear roll mechanic, which is kind of common in horror games, and probably something you really need to have in a horror game. Right. <laughs> yeah. And the character creation looks pretty well fleshed out too. Everything looks really good. What were some of your inspirations as you were making this? As far as the, I imagine that you're asking specifically for like the scenarios and the, you know, the horror, the story elements. Uh-huh. As far as mechanically, I've always really been inspired by the, by GURPS, uh, you know, the general utility role-playing system. Mm-hmm. I had those books as a kid, could never find anybody to play it with me. <laughs> but I really liked the idea of a system that was going to be straightforward and basic enough that you could do, tell any story you wanted with it. Uh, Survive the Night, of course, le- leans hard uh, into the swerve for, uh, I butchered that phrase, but you know what I mean, <laughs> leans hard into horror. Um, as far as horror influences, I, I like a good horror movie. Supernatural horrors are, are what I like the best. So you've got, um, boy, the ones that were released. There's a lot of Lovecraftian stuff going on in the Dreamer scenario. Uh, okay. A little bit of evil, a little bit of Evil Dead sprinkled in there as well. I don't know if you guys have seen uh, the, the. It's not new anymore, but they they created a new show off of that, which was disgusting, but it was a lot of fun. <laughs> oh, the uh, what was it? Ash Ash versus Evil Dead. Ash versus the Evil Dead. Oh, yeah. oh my gosh. Yeah, it was, Weird, weird tangent. We had just, me, me and my, my wife, Ruby, had just finished watching um, watching the rest of that on Netflix not too long ago. It was it was amazing. I <laughs> I had actually not seen the movie, you know, shame on me, uh, when I watched the first season of that. And I was just like, that is so gonzo compared to what I thought this was. <laughs> I have to watch the movie now. <laughs> oh, I was going to say, so with, with Survive the Night, are you... It, are you more going for the um, like the Evil Dead? More is more of a just kind of a, a gory kind of. It's 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 a lot of jump scares and and gore versus uh, some of the more traditional kind of um, uh, suspenseful horror films where you might not n- you you feel the suspense of everything, but you don't necessarily see the the evil monster until it's too late kind of thing. What what sort of vibe were you trying to go for, or does this or does this run the whole? The whole gamut of that it attempt it attempts to run the whole gamut um okay. I, I it occurs to me that by invoking the name of evil dead and asher's the evil dead that i'm leaning really into like being campy and all that right there are games that play that way because honestly trying to have a scary game under bright fluorescent lights in a convention hall is very challenging and a lot of the time it just you know what <laughs> let's make it funny let's just go with it Okay. But we've run this game in, in dark basements, and um, there there was a wonderful old uh, old like loft room that we would do this in, and it was just really atmospheric, giant fireplace. If you have the mood right, <laughs> it, it can be a very it can be a very scary game. All right, so, uh, but so I'd say we, we. I was gonna say, so Mary, make some we, notes. You need a fireplace and um, some <laughs> cre- creaky rocking chairs. You're gonna set that up for me at the convention, sure, right? Sure thing. <laughs> so we can do that, that little triangle room. <laughs> yeah, sure, sure. Thing. We'll, we'll get right on. As, as far as other uh, uh, other influences, I mean, some scenarios are they, they go very much for that suspenseful kind of experience. Aqualung was our first exclusively for demo, uh, made for demos uh, scenario, because it's very hard to convince people to play four to six hours of a game they've not heard of, but you know, 90 to 90 minutes to two hours is an easier sell. And that has a lot of influence from uh, Saw. It has a lot of influence from, um, I don't want to say The Descent as much, but any story where 
people are underground trying to get out huh. and uh, you've got the you've got the timer going on personally when it comes to movies I don't care as much for like and no no disrespect at all to people who do but like the uh, turistas and uh, slasher movies aren't as much my speed but it's a, it's a niche that wouldn't be ignored so some of that made it into the book as well okay give everybody kind of a, a, a chance to run the the flavor that they want mm-hmm. so uh, for sure so you're saying this is this is made for it's really made for as I guess it should be if it's mimicking the 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 horror genre. It's really geared for one shot type of um, adventure stories. What 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 do you want to call them? <laughs> yeah, one one shot sessions for sure. Uh, longevity of characters is a bit stunted for campaign play. Right. You might have that one character who who could come back in the sequel, but they're gonna they're probably going to be the first yeah. one to, to bite it. If I, if I remember my uh, nightmare on Elm street uh, movies correctly. Yeah. Well, and like a lot of horror movies too, I'm, I'm looking at the character classes and the kinds of skills that people have and all the, all the characters that you would build with this, unless you're going to go like outside the rule, the rule set are normal people that you run into every day that are going to be put into crazy situations and then have to figure out how their own personal abilities make them someone that can live through whatever this horrific thing that's happening around them i think like a real horror movie that it it works with that really well Uh, that's that's definitely i'm thank you (laughs) that's what we were going for i mean uh this was based off of a homebrew system that i had made for a much more classic fantasy setting uh but like i said when i write systems i like the idea that they're flexible so it wasn't too hard to adapt it to these kinds of stories Mm -hmm. And uh, in that system, we had a lot of flexibility and there were no classes. It was just here are your starting points as a character, invest them in whatever you want. Some of that made it to survive the night. You still begin the game with 10 points and you can put them into uh, different you know, skills and traits and uh, stats, which are like D&D attributes, basically the things you're naturally good at. But I realized that if you give people total freedom and, and they know they're walking into a horror scenario, you're going to get a gang of friends who all happen to be Rambo. And no. just... <laughs> yes. Yeah. I, I was I was just thinking about that too. Oh, that's that's one of those hard things. That's that's kind of why I don't like the Call of Cthulhu RPG in many ways because you're building this investigator and it's like, well, I know, I know, John knows going into this because the game is called Call of Cthulhu. That you know, and I've got this skill here that says like occult studies or something that something weird's gonna right. happen. So to me, like horror games, I always have a hard time trying to get that buy-in from players. And so, so when you find a game that that can really pull that off, it's 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 great. It's wonderful. Yeah, I mean, we have uh, we have twelve. Well, I'm glad to hear that. <laughs> I, <laughs> I I hope we can get you in a game. We have a, some people have said too many classes, but we have we have twelve with the idea of hitting a lot of those classic tropes. And frankly, there's always a risk that whatever your character specializes in just isn't going to be relevant. Um, there's there's a, a wide variety of different hazards and, and antagonists and the different stories. And nothing is quite as entertaining as, uh, well, not entertaining, maybe from the narrator's perspective, <laughs> uh, as having a character who's a specialist in outdoor survival only to find out they're going to spend their whole playthrough in a haunted house. Oh, or, yeah. Or... Uh, <laughs> The paranormal investigator who figures out that it's the guy in the scream mask. Oh yeah. Well, I mean, you run into that with with more traditional things like uh, Dungeons and Dragons too, where it's like, yeah, I've made this 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 rogue. I'm really good at picking pockets, and I'm all about you know working the crowds and the in the 
in the streets and stuff like that. What are we going to do? Oh, we're going to be spending the whole time in this dungeon. You know, you're like, (laughs) well, that's kind of on the narrator too, though, to set up the scenario so that whatever characters are coming in have a role. And so like, oh, I have a paranormal investigator, but it's really just a guy in a mask. Well, what clues could I leave that might make it look like this is really something paranormal so they can feel engaged in the experience, even if that doesn't turn out to be like the truth of the story. Like maybe they're they're the the killer or, or whatever is dropping clues that make it look like it's some sort of paranormal thing, yeah. but but unless you have that paranormal ex- expert in there to tell you no, you know none of this matches up something that would fall under that mm-hmm. or or none yeah. of these or well if they're doing this they're following this <clears throat> yeah as my wife's in there watching a CSI in the other room so I'm thinking that, you know somebody is somebody is like well all the <laughs> patterns for this particular type of occult uh, reasoning would lead us to this so therefore the killer. Must be also following, yeah, yeah. Ah, cr- crime for dramas. sure. And <laughs> sometimes your, yeah, and some sometimes your main forte isn't how you end up mm-hmm. contributing. You, your character still has, uh, we call it life total, but you know you still have HP, you still have hit points. You can still, you know, swing an object at a bad guy. You may not be the best at it, but when you're when you're playing, you want it to be the player who feels like they're in there, not just a, you know, a bundle of stats kind of rolling from room to room. And that's part of the reason that, that for my games anyway, I like to focus on the story because anybody can play that even if you didn't min-max your character as hard as right. the guy next to you. So so how much narrative control is is sort of passed back and forth between the, the narrator and the, uh, the players? It can depend on how you want to play it, but generally, the, as Mary was saying, the rules are flexible enough that you should be able you can usually find an interesting way to interpret things so that people get to sort of do what they want to do um you know you don't want i we had somebody recently just caught dead to rights just bad guy vastly physically superior Mm -hmm. to them no way they were ever going to win in a fight and then they started basically uh it was the setting is that it's a game show And, uh, you know, sort of see if you can survive and and get out of the exit before the time runs out. And uh, the guy had the exit unlocked and the door open. And so he turned around and decided, I'm going to use my bluff skill to argue that the rules of the game say that I win and that I should get out because I got the door open. And he did a pretty good role. And I would have allowed that. Uh, You know, there's there's nothing written in there that the villain should be gullible. But it's the it's the protagonist's last possible chance. And he's the only one left alive. If he doesn't make it out, no, nobody does. As for that particular situation, didn't end up working out. The the villain has an earpiece. He can talk to the game runners whenever he wants to. But that's the kind of creativity that we want. You know, that that leads to a lot of creative back and forth between the narrator and the players. And uh, the whole point of this game, D&D or any other RPG, it's, it's a collaborative story that everybody's gotcha. agreeing to tell. So, so it's more of, you know, when in, when in doubt, error on the side of whatever's going to make the story good or or cool or whatnot yeah we have a line almost exactly like that oh, in the book. so yes awesome. <laughs> <laughs> that is absolutely and i apologize if i'm long-winded with any of my answers no nah, that's I, perfectly uh, fine i grew up in a yeah, grew up in the house of a professor so it kind of rubs <laughs> off on you so you've you've, you've kind of given us an idea of what some of the the what your influences were um aside from you know 
possibly Ash versus Evil Dead per se, but <laughs> other things I I really like uh, Dog Soldiers. Yeah, let's talk about uh, Dog Soldiers. Sorry, sorry, Mary. Let's talk about Dog Soldiers for a few seconds. <laughs> to me, it's like okay, I'm a sucker for a good werewolf movie, and that is easily within my 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 top five right there. That's that's my favorite uh, paranormal monster, and they did oh, a very yeah. good job with it. All right, all right, there. I had... <laughs> You, you mentioned dog soldiers. So <laughs> give a shout out. <laughs> that's fair. That's fair. I I like the gr- we don't have a game that that cuts to it very closely, but I really like the grudge. Okay. Okay. Um, I know it was a remake, but what can was, I say? It was a pretty I, good remake, though. <laughs> oh, have you guys seen uh, Del Toro's Mama? That sounded really weird, but no. the movie <laughs> Mama, made by Del Toro. Yeah. I I have uh, I have not. I've seen a bunch of his other. It's funny. We were just watching something, and they're they're advertising the orphanage on their um okay. on their del toro <laughs> classic as it were um mary do you have any favorite movies I, I hear some sighing over there oh no i just y'all are saying ones i haven't <laughs> seen yet like i make i'm trying to make my mental list of what i need to go watch because i'm always looking for a good horror movie but i end up watching a lot of very bad horror movies in my quest for a truly good horror movie <laughs> well sometimes um, the bad ones are really good <laughs> well i mean they're enter- they're entertaining and everything but right, right i guess i've seen enough i'm i'm a little hard to scare um let's see That's i fair. i really okay. like um i like sci-fi horror a lot and the alien oh. series okay. is really good it's um some of my favorites and beyond that, I like the paranormal ones a lot. Like, but I don't know. It just kind of depends on how it's done. So that's fair. I don't. I'm not a big fan of the slasher movies. Just they just don't mm-hmm. show a lot of creativity, and they never tend to surprise me. It's like, yeah, I, I know who it is, <laughs> or or I know that's going to be somebody random at the end, and that's okay too. But um, so. I don't. I just kind of look for those ones that are are really creative and have kind of a surprise at the end. Um, and of course, have I mean, there's a lot seen, of really. Uh, go, go ahead. I was just going to ask if you had seen the thing. Oh yeah, that's a really okay. good one. Now mm-hmm. the um, when that when is that one? Did that one come out? They haven't remade that one, have they lately? The thing. Yeah, because that's the, a, sort like, of like the yeah. that's a nineties. Well, they one, it was. Right? 80s what was it 80s uh well the john carpenter yeah. one is the 80s that's the one i th- i think i'm and then i'm they, thinking of there's and then a, they, there's an older one than that too like right? in the, what was it early 2000s or so they did sort of a uh they did the, the a prequel i did not type see thing that to it. no no pun intended uh, thing it, to it. it was okay yeah so you're right mary there was a there, there was an old science fiction short story uh, or novella yeah. uh that was similar but not the same. Uh, the the alien had a uh, it was much more psychic rather uh-huh. than uh, shape shape shifty, uh-huh. and so it could it could fool people. Um, then they made a movie in I think the fifties, old black and white affair, very yeah. dissimilar either of the stories but it was set in antarctica had that had okay. that had that typical fifties um, sci fi kind of thing you know we're scientists see we can solve anything because we're scientists see. <laughs> Monster of the Week, yeah. Right. I had forgotten hey, about you know, that. That, yeah. was the, that was the medium that worked back then, so sure. that's what they did. And a good story. It just keeps coming back. Have you guys seen uh, I Am Legend in its many, many forms? Uh, yes. I've, well, yeah. It's yeah. been a while, but yes. I forgot, because I remember, I remember watching it going, isn't this Omega Man? <laughs> yes. 
Yes, it is. And it was the last man on earth before that. And oh, before gosh. that, it was, oh, geez, what was his last name? <laughs> uh, I, I've read the book. In the book, it was vampires. In right. the movies, it was vampires. Until the one with Will Smith, which, to be fair, I'm not a purist. I liked the Will Smith movie the best. But uh, it was more like uh, zombies were in vogue at that point. So they changed up the monster a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, okay. They they always have big names in it, though. I mean, it was Will Smith, and before that, it was Charlton Heston, yeah. who was a big deal. Yeah. Uh, and then before that, it was Vincent Price. Uh, Vincent Price was in a black and white rendition of the movie. Yeah, a good the, story. It just yeah. won't stay down. <laughs> and then there's the, uh, you know, uh, if you really like a good vampire film, uh, The Twilight. No, I'm just kidding. I'm, not, I'm kidding. <laughs> Zombies are always you, fun, though. It's like, <laughs> I love The Walking Dead, but I finally had to stop watching it because mm-hmm. it just got kind of disturbing. I was like, I, I, I can't do this anymore. <laughs> I but, I agree. The the quality of the writing took a dive, and I, I couldn't get into it anymore. Well, it was still really scary, but like just like upsetting things started happening. Like I don't feel good after I watch this show anymore. Like I like I'm seriously having nightmares because it's it's oh. just getting twisted. Like bad things happening to little kids always upset me. If it's um if it's like a serious okay. movie, like there's another um. RPG that I run a lot at Scarab that's called Little Fears that is about kids, but it, it always ends up being kind of campy. So <laughs> the bad, even though the bad things are happening to the little kids, you know the little kids are going to be okay in the end. So <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's hard to do a um, a real horrific game or anything like that with a group of mixed people, and you're involving little kids as the characters who have the horrific things kind of happen to or around them. I I agree. That's, that's, that can be, that can be tough. Unless, unless, unless the little kids like Newt out of uh, aliens who you're pretty sure I am. I thought she was going to pick up a gun and just start mowing down some of those things. Well, she lived. I mean, it was scary for her, but then, but she survived. Nothing, nothing bad happened to her in the end. Yes. Oh, well, Uh, did you see the third movie? We we won't talk talk about the third movie. I didn't No, I will not. I have not watched it and I just pretend it doesn't exist. That's I've heard things about it that I just don't need to know. That's healthy. Most people, most people like to say that one doesn't exist. (laughs) What's kind of sad is that it's not a bad movie, except that it's a sequel to the others. Like if it was a standalone thing, it'd be all right. Uh, yeah. Okay. Okay. I, I, I'm done with that. Is that it's coming off of the second film that had so much heart and then saying, Oh my goodness, they've left us with so much resources to use. Uh-huh. How are we going to, yeah, flush that. I've got a new idea. It has nothing to do with any of the other crap. And it's <laughs> like, Oh, okay. <laughs> sure. Uh, but yeah, I mean, we, we take, uh, when I'm writing a scenario, what I do is I, I take the, you know, you take the influences that have really inspired you. You try to, you try to change it enough that it's recognizable where it comes from, but that it has its own flavor and then set it out there. We, we have one that is inspired by alien, but it's not in the book. Uh, when, when we first created the book, we had about the, we could only, we only had enough room to do about half the scenarios that we had at our disposal. So there's a, a handful of good ones floating out there that don't have quite the polish yet to, to put into a printed form. Are you thinking about releasing those at some point? Uh, we're thinking about releasing one of them this October. Cool. Uh, it's act, Actually, uh, it's Witch's Wood. It's my favorite scenario to run. 
we we thought that uh, as as much as I as I love running it, it wasn't exactly what I was looking for in the initial release. Uh, each each scenario that made it into the original had sort of a role. It had something that it brought to the to the game that we wanted, and so I'm excited to be releasing this new one. It's a two hour runtime, but the actual notes that go into it make it about fifty percent longer even than the longer games, uh, at least in print. I'm sure it's hard when you have a scenario that you've run yourself to try to write it up in a way that somebody else can take it and run it in the same spirit. I know when I'm running scenarios that I write, I don't even do the same things every time. I don't even do what I wrote down that I said I was going to do. I, it just kind of depends <laughs> on what happens with the players. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. It hit the nail on the head there. And in our initial release, I mean, I know you've read through them. There's only one scenario that really has like a lot of variety in how it, I mean, Maybe that's not fair to say, but there's one where the antagonist changes based on decisions. Mm -hmm. And therefore, the, the huh. playthrough can have a very different flavor based on decisions made by the characters. And that's why we included that one, because we thought, okay, if people like the game, we want to make sure they have as much replay value as possible. Mm -hmm. uh, Witch's Wood has the same kind of thing going on, but it has a, whether because it requires it or because I felt like putting it in there, it has a lot more support for each different route that it can take. And as a result, it kind of ballooned on me <laughs> when I had it in the workshop. That's a neat way of doing it too, because um, for lack of for lack of a better thing, you can give the players the illusion that, uh, oh, we are, we're smart. We've actually figured this out when really you're at the GM. You're like, no, you kind of helped me figure out what the, the main bad guy is in the end, but I'm not going <laughs> right. to tell you that. It's like, oh, you guys are so good. I can't believe you found all the clues that led uh, to this person. Yeah, I, I do that. I'm guilty of that a lot when I'm writing a scenario. I about get about three quarters of the way through, and uh -huh. I'm like, I have no idea where the story's going to be at this point or how the players are going to get themselves out of whatever they've gotten them into. Oh, yeah. So I'm just going to see what they do, and then that will be how it goes. Right, because somebody <laughs> will say something, you go, that's a good idea. All right, that's what it's going to be now. Yeah. <laughs> so i i'm intrigued because i was going to ask what what other type of rpgs and such influenced you and you've kind of already hit it on that when you said gurps and that kind of floored me because that's not something that i hear a lot of people say oh you know what really inspired me to to make my own game was gurps <laughs> well it's uh when i was i was introduced to like high fantasy at a really young age uh -huh. like i was probably four or five when I started watching the old Rankin Bass movies uh, oh, for uh, like Lord of well, the Rings. not Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, but yes, yes, exactly. The Hobbit, oh, uh, yeah, Flight yeah. of Dragons was released direct to TV. I really liked that one as a kid. And my dad told me all about Lord of the Rings, which was his favorite series uh -huh. when I was growing up. Uh, the way I often tell it to people is uh, Tolkien was my mother goose. Like I knew what a Balrog was <laughs> before I could do math. <laughs> And so I just, I really grew up with it and I found it really inspiring and I heard about Dungeons and Dragons and my dad's best friend, a, a really interesting guy who, who we all call Boa, basically sent a, one of those old box sets uh, back, oh, okay. way back in the day, they sold Dungeons and Dragons as a box set with like pamphlets for the rules and little figures in it and everything. Right. Oh, yes, and I oh, I, <laughs> I just opened it up and I just poured over all that stuff and I discovered two things. One, when I was really young. I could not get through a rule book. Like it was very, <laughs> very rough for me to have the, the patience to do that. And two, 
even if I could slog it through, my friends didn't want to. So I, I determined pretty early that if I wanted to do this, I would have to find some way to do it on my own. And uh, that led to sort of fudging rules for games like uh, Dragon Strike, which was another board game inspired by Dungeons and Dragons and okay. some of these other Sometimes the games had nothing to do with D&D, but uh, that's that's what they became about. And yeah, that just kind of gets you, uh, once you start creating games, if you like it and your friends are supportive, you do it a lot. My first game of actual Dungeons & Dragons was probably 10 years after I started getting into all this stuff. <laughs> okay, okay. I, I, I know where you're coming from with that. Because I remember when I was younger and I got into D&D, it was it, years later when I actually played a D&D game. I was like, oh, well, what was I doing those, the, <laughs> those other times? I think I think we were just I think we were just all telling stories to each other or something. I don't know. Pretty much. That's when you don't have dice and you don't have patience. That's right. how it's done. And right. That's the heart of it, though. I mean, that's really, you know, we say D&D because it was the first game that really demonstrated what this was about but you know it's spun off into a hundred different games that operate in much the same way and at the at the center of all of it is storytelling and storytelling is an incredibly widespread hobby it's something everybody loves to do even if they don't think about it and uh, i think that's why we're seeing this explosion now that along with help from you know people like matthew mercer and critical role uh-huh oh yeah yeah so so having having said all this about you know D D and stuff what made you decide that i'm going to make a game and it's going to be a horror game and not just, you know, another going through dungeon beating up bullywugs and stuff. Sure. Well, uh, I created a game that was designed so that <laughs> I, I ran like homebrew crappy D and D spinoffs all the time. Uh -huh. Like we were just talking about half the, half the time it was just storytelling. Didn't even have dice. <laughs> and, uh, I did this at a friend's birthday party by, by a popular demand. And it was the first time I'd met a lot of these kids. And it was the first time that any of that, a lot of them had ever done anything like this. And so for years I'd have people who were friends of one of my friends just being like, you're the guy. And I'd be like, what are you, what? And they would remember me because <laughs> that was such a <laughs> different experience for them. And I did not, I was just like, oh, you were at that party. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Like, and one of those people I actually became pretty good friends with in my uh, senior year of high school. And he said, hey, would you want to do something like that again? I think it'd be a lot of fun. So uh, I had put a little bit more elbow grease into the homebrew that I designed because I did stuff like that for fun, like just in case somebody wants to do this. <laughs> And uh, so I said, all right. And I put the finishing touches on that, wrote up a, a campaign, and we started a we, we started a game that was there were no pretensions here. We called it Dungeons and Dragons, even though the rules were not Dungeons and Dragons, because <laughs> it, it wasn't about making a sellable product. It was just we want to tell this kind of story. Here's some really straightforward rules that we can do to to make that happen. I asked my friends what characters they wanted to play, and then built the rules around that or built the, the setting around that. Okay. And that campaign lasted for six years. Wow. And uh, sometime during that period, the same guy who had, who had wanted to do that called me and said, hey, we're having a Halloween party. Do you want to come? I'm like, for sure. And then he calls me a little bit later. It was probably Facebook at that point. Oh, no, hold on. I was late to that party. So no, it was probably AOL Instant Messenger. <laughs> <laughs> and he was like, actually, everyone who's coming is a TNT player. TNT being the... Tunnels and trolls? Affectionate name, Trolls and Towns. Oh, okay. okay. Uh, there were no dungeons and no dragons in any of the games that I had run for them, so they changed the name to differentiate <laughs> it from the... <laughs> They did not ask me. This was just passed down as a decree <laughs> through the group that it would be this now. And I, they're like, everybody who's coming plays plays the other game. If you if you're cool with it, like 
I think it'd be awesome if it would if we would have some kind of thematic thing to do at this Halloween party. So I said, all right. And over the course of about three days, I adapted the system. It, it was inspired by GURPS, so it was very straightforward to adapt. You know, it was, I have since reread the GURPS rules, and I, they're not actually that similar to each other. But I see where the influence where the influence lies. So I adapted it, introduced the fear mechanic. Actually, had to invent a whole class system because we didn't have it before. And I recognized pretty early that yeah, everyone's going to be. <laughs> Everyone's going to be Arnold Schwarzenegger if we're not careful. Oh, so yeah, yeah. Let's let's introduce like if you want to be brainy, then you can't be brawny. If you want to be brawny, then you can't be a paranormal expert. If you want to be a paranormal expert, you don't get a gun. Things like that. Um, threw it all together. Wrote the Dreamer, uh, which is the the third scenario in the book, but the first one we ever did, and uh, we we all got together. There were four people at the party because we were wildly popular and. That, those are the kinds of crowds we were bringing down. And uh, well, five if you include me, but four players. And this game went perfectly. I have run hundreds of games since then. This game is still easily in the top three. Uh, very little preparation. Everybody was, everyone played role playing games, but nobody had ever played this game cinematic from start to finish. Every death was brutal, terrifying, and unexpected. Every, every situation that could have been made more tense by the right die roll was made more tense. So I could tell the whole scenario in, in about those tones because the whole thing was like that. Like every scene was just bananas and we just had such a fun time with it. We're like next year, next year for sure. And we did it every year until, uh, you know, in, in each subsequent year we had like significant others would get invited, friends uh -huh. would get invited, people who had never gamed before and they all loved it. It's just universally 100% approval rate from every person who tried it. And that's why, we, you know, that's what prompted us to say, you know, we, we should try to release this. Uh, I had always thought I'd like to take a, I'd like to try my hand at, at producing something for, you know, mass consumption. And uh, this seemed more original. It seemed like it had more to offer than another D&D &D knockoff. <laughs> so that is, that's the long form answer to your question. <laughs> so... You 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 um you kind of touched on some of this, and I was wondering because like in some games like like Pathfinder or or D and D and such, um if you're if you're you're playing and your character dies, then you you're almost kind of like great. Well, I'm just gonna sit here um twiddling my thumbs until you guys either res me or I'm gonna go off over that corner over there and make a new character or something. But it sounds like mm -hmm. what in this one character death is a bit more I don't know what to say a bit more of a common occurrence well yeah i would imagine it would be because because what's a horror yeah. film or, or one of these things if you know it's unfortunate to say but what, what's the good of these things if somebody doesn't die you know yeah <laughs> right uh, but but do, do you find like the players are like uh sort of secretly hoping man i hope i'm the next one who gets you know i hope my character gets <laughs> you know a death scene next because that'd be great i know how i'm gonna go i don't out. i i have met a lot of really good sports I don't think I've ever met anybody who was hoping to die, who didn't like <laughs> know that they had to leave early and they didn't want to go out like a chump. You know, they didn't want to hand their character sheet over. They wanted to get as much mileage as they could. Okay. Um, I I think the trick to handling that is is twofold. <clears throat> well, maybe more than twofold. I think the first ingredient is that the players need to know what they're playing. Right. Right. Uh, we we right. had someone at at a game. The only time I, I when we first started this. I expected it to be a major problem. I knew my friends loved the game. I knew they were never going to throw a tantrum. But I'm like, oh, who's going to enjoy getting their character killed, not having any more game to play? But honestly, we've run it, like I said, hundreds of times. I've only ever had one person, like, really lose their cool. Um, I And that gentleman, I think, 
I think it had more to do with the fact that he fashioned himself the best gamer in his group. Oh, they were they were, his friends were casual gamers, or that may not be fair to say. <laughs> you, you too, if you're listening to this, you know who you are. <laughs> no disrespect. <laughs> so that's the guy that when when you made out your list of who's gonna die first, you moved him up to the top of the list, right? That that's never fair, and I never do that. I never <laughs> pick. I never pick on any. It's it's he had sort of a. I don't want to badmouth him too much either because he's not here to defend himself. The the short of it was that people seemed to be having a good time, uh-huh. and they had actually played cautiously. They'd played well, and so we were getting to the we were winding down to the close. They were racing to their ride. That was their only way to survive. And I knew that I had enough resources to get one or two of them, but they had done so well that it would have been just. The, it made sense in the story for some of them to make it out and it would be just spiteful to try to grab everybody. So <laughs> I basically said, all right, well, the antagonists are faster than you and it's a dead sprint to the car. So I didn't tell him this, but it's like basically whoever ro- whoever slowest is biting the dust right now. And uh, he rolled a one and he tripped and then he started dictating to me how he was going to throw this Molotov cocktail onto the street and that was going to distract them long enough for him to make it to the car. I was like, dude, you know, that's not how these games work. (laughs) Um, There's three of you and there's like 400 of my my beasties. Yeah. Some of them aren't fans of your fire. The rest of them are hungry. And uh, he just really didn't take it well. He, he, He disliked it. And his his friends uh, sort of I don't want to say they apologized for him, especially in case that's going to get them in trouble with him. <laughs> but uh, they, you know, I, and, and to be fair, I'm sitting here talking about how I, I didn't care for his attitude. But you know what? He he gave my game a try. I'm grateful to him for that. Uh, and I think that it's just the, the player needs to be honest with themselves about what game they're playing. Right. And the, the narrator needs to be forthcoming about what this is. So I try to start all my games by saying there's it's nothing personal. This game eats players. That's what it does. And there's there's two rules that I try to follow to mitigate that. One of them is personally, and there's actually a bit about this in the narrator's guide, because uh, I think it's a little bit different to run a horror game versus running like a standard fantasy adventure. Uh Make sure everyone's engaged before you start developing a body count. Nobody wants to spend 15 minutes, 20 minutes making a character. It doesn't take a long time to make a character in this system. Uh But nobody wants to spend a long time making a character and then get killed in the first 10 minutes. I mean, that's not fun for anybody. So make sure that the game has gathered ahead of steam before it gets really dangerous. And uh, make sure people understand they're still a part of the group. They may not have a character anymore, but they're still allowed to contribute to conversations. They're still allowed to come up with ideas for the team. Uh, this is a collaborative story. Just because you don't have an agent moving through it anymore doesn't mean that you, you can't still contribute. Okay. That's that's very cool. I like that's that. good to know, especially as I'm running these at Scarab. That's something I always worry about with horror games or things mm-hmm. similar to that right like right. what happens if i kill a, a character and then what's that person gonna do the rest of the time so but i like the <laughs> right, way you right. described it that they are still part of the story and helping them stay engaged some of the scenarios will help you out too because the some villains turn people instead of killing them uh-huh. so you know it's it's like, oh, well, we don't have Dracula, but we have somebody pretty close. Uh, you know, if you, if you have uh, old Vlad running around biting people, it's not a game over. It's just that if you want to keep playing, you're going to help me now. You're on, you know, Sharks and Minnows. You're on my team now. Let's let's get the rest of these guys. <laughs> That's a good idea. Huh. That That is really cool. I like this. I like this a lot. I'm, I, hope I, get a, I hope I get a chance to uh, try this out at Scarab. 
because I know I'm going to be pretty busy with, with my own stuff at Scarab too. <laughs> I believe it, but yeah, it's 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 Scarab sounds like an awesome opportunity for us to to branch out a little bit. It's I was I was really thrilled when when Brian told me about this and gave me his card and everything. And, well, I'm I'm glad that even though you you talked with Brian, you were still interested in um, having us run your games. Ah, uh, I, I can make fun of Brian because you know because we're friends. no Brian <laughs> Brian was fantastic. He, yeah, yeah uh, he's he's a good guy. Uh, yeah, our uh, our poster actually printed very dark, uh-huh. so it was very hard to see. Oh. And I was just like, oh no, like how do I? I'm trying to like situate it right under the light so that it can catch light. And he happened to be sitting out there. And he was just like, no, 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 like a little further back. There you go. There you go. Right there. And uh, yeah, it was just. I, I could he, I could see that. I can see him doing <laughs> that too. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. I guess the only other thing I would ask is what final recommendations would you have for a GM running this for the first time? I would read the narrator's guide. Right. Obviously, I'm um, going to read the whole book. Because... <laughs> <laughs> well, about uh, about two thirds of that book is scenarios. So uh-huh. if you if you kind of you can read the little blurb at the beginning of each of those to get a feel for what they're about and how long they're supposed to be. And, uh, you know, if you choose which one you want to go with right off the cuff, then you don't have to read the whole book. Uh, the, the player's guide has all the rules. The narrator's guide is basically me being pretentious enough to think that people should hear what I have to say about running a game, uh, a horror scenario. Well, it is your game. So, <laughs> yeah. uh, but it has a lot of little things that I've tripped across uh, in terms of the difference between running more tr- uh, a non-horror game and the trans- transition into a game where you're actively a threat to the players because you're expected to eliminate players, which for a DM is, you know, you go around killing players, you make a big habit of that. Then no, wait, wait, wait. Lose... We need to clarify, though. You mean, and I make this mistake, too, right, right. killing characters. Killing characters. We're not going to kill any players. Right. <laughs> we don't need the police showing up for a murder investigation at scare. Killing characters. That's right. <laughs> you know what? It all depends on how intense you want this experience to be. Oh, well, I guess that's true. <laughs> Jesting, joking, I will, joking. I will uh, not say that I've never been in a situation where I did not want to kill a player at my table. <laughs> or at least banish them to another dimension. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's just uh, the... If I were to give one thing other than to just read the guide, which is a very lazy answer, I would say that pace is controlled by... Uh, I would say be, be careful about pace. Okay. Um, because what you'll notice in horror movies is that, and and in movies in general, the tension picks up and picks up and picks up. Um, if you don't really threaten anybody and no one gets hurt and no one gets eliminated, then you end up with a game that the tempo is kind of weird. You know, you, you end up with like a long, slow portion in the middle and then the, the violent action bits happen so fast that people don't really have time to process everything. And then the game's over. Uh, it also leads to situations where, like John, like John was saying, uh, you know, do people ever say, I hope I get my death scene next? Maybe not, but once the game is over, people absolutely, like, reflect on the death sequences. And if you wait till the very, very end, until you get to your bad guy who kills people with an axe, or your bad guy who eats people or whatever, then everyone's death sequence is going to be very similar, because they all met their end the same way. So what you do is you make sure that everyone's in the game for the first half or so. At least this is my, not everyone has to do this the same way, this is my formula. Unless people are doing supremely silly things. Anyway, as long as nobody's like, daring you to kill them then you know 
first half of the game to build your to build your suspense and build your steam and give them enough time to really like be anxious <laughs> guessing at what they're dealing with. That just makes me think of some really weird uh, player versus uh, narrator smack talk going on. I don't think you have the guts to kill my character off. <laughs> <laughs> It's not a completely different relationship, but I think the fact that you you do kill players and you kill multiple, sorry, player characters, characters yeah. and you kill multiple characters before the game is over, you know, make sure just make it clear to everybody that they know what they're getting into. That way, you don't have a lot of hurt feelings at the end. Well, that sounds really wow. great. I'm excited about getting to run this. I'll have to practice sure. on my friends before we get to Scarab, though, just to make sure that I understand how to do all the all the things, but I do love that it comes with pre-made scenarios, pre-made characters, so the prep work is not too much. For sure. It's it's supposed to be easy to make your character and everything, but mm-hmm. I've we've run so many events that it's just like, listen, you, you bust out the character sheets with all the art and everything, most people are, are happy to pick one of them up. The fact that there's so many and that they're so different helps. Right. Yeah, you've given us a really good idea about what a player can expect and what a a narrator should be doing so i think that we have i, I think that people are going to hear this and and be interested in playing and i hope they will yeah me too well so awesome well uh, obligatory plug we have a awesome. <laughs> we have a website yeah. where you can buy the game i was getting uh, ready to so, ask you about that so yeah, yeah. <laughs> plug away uh sur- survive the night games.com uh-huh. uh you can also uh please look us up on facebook survive the night games just put it in the search bar uh, we're the one with the horrible, what's the right word? There's a microorganism that looks a lot like our monster on the front cover, but <laughs> the horrible squid monster okay. on the, on the okay. cover. Or, but yeah, we, we'd love to have people. And if anybody has any questions about the game, survive the night games at gmail.com is how to get in touch with me. So again, we were talking with Brian Crenshaw, creator of survive the night game or survive the night, survive the night games, <laughs> survive the night games is the, is where you can find them on the web. And I was joined with, by uh, Mary, who's representing the RPG track or the what are the what disorganized no the oh, um, open RPG open RPG track <laughs> at Scarab Gaming Convention. And I hope everybody out there who's listening can survive the night. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Thanks so much for having me, guys. Yeah. Thank you. Swamcast, I got your number. I'll call you all the time. Area code I was walking in the cave late one night when my eyes beheld an eerie sight where some gamers from their chairs began to rise and suddenly, to my surprise They did the mash! They did the gamer mash! They did the mash! It was a game store smash! They did the mash! They smelled like they took my hands! They did the mash! They did the gamer mash from the friendly local gaming store FLGs to the kitchen table where the humans feast. The gamers all came from their humble basements to level up quickly and fight some trios. They did the mash. They did the gamer mash. The gamer mash. It was a game store smash. They did the mash. 
They look like they took baths. They did the mash. They did the game on mash. The players were having fun. The GM had just begun. The snacks included meatballs, some deli trays, and some gum. The dice were rolling. All were digging the games. Occasional breaks thanks to some internet memes. The CCG players were about to arrive with their vocal group, the MTG5. We did kind of smash the gaming store pretty I'm pretty sure they took bows. They did the game mash. Up from his screen, the GM's voice did ring. Seems he was troubled by just one thing. He opened the fridge and he shook his fist and said, Which one of you, Gragnard, drank my Sierra Mist? It's not the mash. It's not the game mash. Come on, let's go smash up that gaming convention. It won't leave any rash. It's not a gamer mash. Hey, everything's cool. The GM, he's part of the band. And my gamer mash is now the hit of the land. For you, listen, this mash was meant to. So when you get to my door, tell them to state your face. Then you can mash. Then you can gamer mash. gamer mash. Until my game can smash. you can mash. Your dice will make a big crash. Then you can mash. Then you too can gamer mash. That's like the toast promise. Whoa. Hey, buddy, what are you doing here? You got some chains or something? This was on the morning and stuff. Let me tighten up those bolts on your head there for a second. That's pretty good, right? Here, have you tried some of this gamer mash? It's me from 100% gamers. <laughs> You're no fun. Hey, someone go plug Frankie back in. I think he's running low on some juice. We got a ghost, got a ghost. I admit that I'm impressed. Since I'm Hadrick, someone legit to come and sit and talk some stuff. Stuff. <laughs> <laughs> so, hey, Swarmcasters. Uh, John is here. Yay. And I am back once again with uh, one of our favorite guests, probably the guest we've had on the most, Ed Jallet with Shades of Vengeance. How's it going, Ed? Uh, it's going great, thank you. Yeah, you just can't get rid of me, can you? <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Ed, there, one of the reasons I have you on right now is because um, as of the time of this recording, you are gearing up to to start up another, um, I almost said quick start, another kickstart for another line in the, the era line of games. Uh, this one's that called... correct. Yeah, this one's going to be called yeah. Lost Legend. But you have also just finished up a Kickstarter for uh, uh, for Era Forbidden. So, and I think it's fair to refer to that one as a quick start, so I completely understand why you fell over on that. <laughs> uh, as it did only run, for, it did only run for about a week. So wow! So you are just a um, a, a busy, busy, busy person as as always. Well, you wouldn't want me to change, would you? <laughs> So, you'd miss me you'd miss we, me if, miss I you. if, I, if I wasn't around <laughs> so so yeah uh listeners to the show we've we've had ed on before to talk about um so many other games um i don't think i could 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 ramble off the listing of, of all the ones we've talked to you about before because there's been quite a few but i know this uh particular year has been pretty big for era consortium because it's mm-hmm. been a big anniversary year for that and you've you've worked on a, a big 
a um, big production of it in particular. Um, all sorts of sorts of uh, fascinating stuff going on with with just that particular arrow line by itself. Yeah, there is. Um, what 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 some listeners might not be aware of, because uh, at the moment it's only been. Uh, revealed exclusively to uh, subscribers to the Era Zone, our quarterly zine, uh, which again was Kickstarter funded earlier in the year, um, is uh, we're actually, and, and I'm telling you, I think you're the first podcast to be told this, um, we're actually gearing up to begin a living campaign for Era the Consortium. Um, and what that'll do is it'll begin in 451 CE, which is after uh, all of the expansions we've currently published. And um, it will basically, I, I'm super excited about it because what it does is it's going to last for 451 and 452 CE. And it's going to give all players the opportunity to play their games of Era of the Consortium um, and then write in and tell us what happened. And it'll actually change the way the universe balance of power exists. So between the Consortium, the Resistance, and, you know, maybe some neutral factions, um, what will happen is, you know, uh, you can gain some ground for them or lose some ground for, for, for the one that's opposing your actual characters. And depending on how that ends up is going to define how um, Era the Consortium's sort of next chapter, uh, considering the first 450 years, one chapter, uh, the next chapter will begin in the state that's actually defined by the people who play for the living campaign. So that's super exciting. Um, that actually launches officially um, at Contingency, which if you're in the UK, it is seriously my favourite convention in the UK. Um, you should definitely go. It's uh, Wednesday to Sunday in um, Norfolk, uh, quite near Kings Lynn. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's, it's three sessions a day, every day for five days. It's absolutely brilliant. Uh, we're there, we're running tons of games and we're kicking off the, uh, uh, the live, uh, sorry, the living campaign right there, uh, during that. And after that, anyone can then submit, um, it's, uh, towards the end of January. So by the end of January, anyone can submit, uh, their own session, tell us what happened and uh, I will read over it and make an assessment of what effect that has on the era of the consortium universe going forward. Oh, that sounds awesome. That sounds amazing. I, I'm actually really curious to see how that's gonna, how that's gonna work and what that's gonna, um, how what how the actions are gonna drive the consortium universe, as it were. Uh, hmm. And the timing is just right. I might have to see if I can get some of that in and at uh, Scarab this year. That could be interesting. You definitely should, um, and and I'm, I, I've said to many people uh, who've who've asked the question, many of the subscribers to the Era Zone, um, that I'm happy to talk through. You know, oh, this session, I think it might end up with X, Y, Z. What do you think? How do you think I should play that? You know, is it likely that I can assassinate Elliot Dragon in one session? <laughs> if they think they've managed, what happens then? That sort of stuff. Interesting. Okay. Well, I might have to talk um, talk with you more about that. Uh, offline definitely definitely that's, that's fascinating so uh for those uh listeners who might not have heard any of the other episodes uh consortium is the very sci-fi space opera type um it seems kind of it seems kind of weird calling it that it's it's more of a it's it's very much a hard sci-fi kind of uh game and setting if i'm if i'm not too far off from that 
No, no, you're you're dead right. But uh, most importantly, I think it offers every subgenre of sci-fi that you could want um, within yeah. that 450 years. So you you hop in where you want, and if you want to do like colonization of a new planet, you go near the beginning. If you want to do like um, encountering alien races and sort of the Star Trek thing, um, you you can do that a little later. And and while it is hard sci-fi, it, it adapts very nicely to those kind of genres and those fields. So you know Star Trek or Star Wars or Firefly or you know various other um, the Expanse and and various other bits and pieces um, that you can sort of do within that setting. Oh, very cool. So, but we're not here today to talk about Earth. That's people, that's we? true. We, we and uh, although we could probably talk about that for for um, quite oh, some time, no for, doubt, for longer than most people would want to listen to this show. Um, <laughs> but that being said, we are primarily here because we want to talk about Era Lost Legend. Uh, you had teased something about this on one of our shows a long time ago. This is something you've been building up to and working on for for quite some time if i'm not mistaken absolutely absolutely i have been working on this i am um, i actually suddenly realized because facebook did its thing and popped up one of those years ago reminder things uh-huh. i actually started working on the power trees for one-handed swords two years ago <laughs> Wow. Um, and I ran a, you know, I ran a, I ran an actual game with a, a group of volunteers. Um, you know, I have my, my set of wonderful, wonderful guinea pigs, um, <laughs> who will try anything that I come up with and and smile about it. Um, and uh, I actually ran a, you know, I ran a campaign with them. Um, back then, uh, you know, since then I've been working on artwork. I've been working on, uh, you know, kind of getting getting the story sorted out, and we've now got this sort of integrated story that you'll recognise from things like Era Survival or Era the Empowered or Era the Chosen, um, or indeed Era the Consortium. You know, we've got this integrated story that follows through the world and gives you an opportunity to do a few different things and and some different criteria for your game. Okay. So I've been working all that like like really really intensely. <laughs> um, Era Forbidden has also been in that time period as well. Uh, and various other things have have also uh, dragged my time away from Lost Legend. But Lost Legend for me is a massive passion project. Um, I uh, I should say, so I've not actually explained too much about this in this podcast. I love Final Fantasy games. I've 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 always enjoyed them. I like the stories. I like the scope of the universes. And I've ever since I sort of really hit home with with building Era the Consortium and making it work. I've wanted to have you know, a, a universe within my, you know, settings, which offers this this kind of this feel of these this magic and technology intertwined, this this kind of not quite sci-fi and not quite fantasy feel, which makes Final Fantasy kind of a unique feel, uh, and the way the games are presented is is really quite interesting, and and it's got a very specific flavour. And I, I wanted to be able to do that. And, and Lost Legend is the universe that I built in order to let myself do that. And as I say, I've wanted to do it for absolutely ages. <laughs> and and I think the last time I had talked to you, which was a long time ago, uh, about uh, when you were just, I think you were ta- just really telling me offline about some of the stuff. I think you said this is really kind of the first uh, actual fantasy type setting. Other than than liars, but but something that actually really digs into that uh, for the airline is that is that correct? 
I think I think that's partially true and partially misleading. Okay. <laughs> um, obviously, obviously, Final Fantasy is not. Well, I say obviously. I would not refer to several of the Final Fantasy games as very fantasy. Okay. Um, well, maybe, maybe not not uh, high that, that's, fantasy. Yeah. You know, uh, in, indeed. Um, and um, obviously there is Era Silence, which is a high fantasy game, but has enough quirks that, it, as you said, it doesn't dig really deep into it. Um, I do have a high fantasy game on the uh, on the drawing board, which has been on the drawing board for an embarrassingly long amount of time, as in six years. Um, and I regularly run, uh, at Contingency that I mentioned just a minute ago, I regularly run a high fantasy session. Um, and it's still just referred to as era high fantasy because I don't actually have a name for the game yet. <laughs> um, uh, and, and, and that definitely will be our, our true high fantasy offering. Era Lost Legend is trying to offer... So I, I've, I've played a couple of the fan-made role-playing games that, that kind of tried to echo Final Fantasy. And um, I, I never 100% felt that they quite got to the nub of what Final Fantasy is for me, which is really about the, the detail of the world, the characters, the story that you're experiencing are so paramount. And then the, the way in which the, the magic expands through and the way you can have common critical hits, you can, you can do a lot of damage very quickly. Um, you, you have this... It, it's almost a frustration, the leveling system in Final Fantasy, it, it, in that it makes you want to keep leveling because it's actually kind of like, ah, uh, do I want to be level 40 or level 50 when I do this thing? <laughs> um, once you play the game through once, at least. And and I wanted to capture all of those things, both the both what I would call the, the very positive parts of Final Fantasy, but also the things which, uh, you know, maybe, maybe the quirks, the frustrations... Uh, with Final Fantasy, I think that it's important that you have those as well in order to reflect the feel. And there's a way of handling those that makes them not painful, but but like an integral part of the game. And that's where the ones that I played kind of fell down because they did too many optimizations for role playing, you know, tabletop gameplay. Um, because they were uh, the one, the particular one I'm thinking of was a D20 based system. Okay. Um, Era D10 being a multiple D10 system that particular optimization um, around, uh, you know, kind of the, the combat and the way it works doesn't exist as a fundamental part of the way that Era D10 works. So, you know, I kind of sidestep the issues and deliver the feel, okay. which is something that, 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 you know, I can be very excited about as, as a game creator. I'm curious what, what sort of elements you in particular, um, not just mechanic-wise, but uh, just, mm. just thematic and such uh, that you seem to be, that 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 really kind of popped for you that made you want to put these into this game because there's a lot of different depending on which game you play there's a lot of different things you could you could focus on like um you know like there's there's magitex or there's uh mm. you know d different summons and things like that yeah that that's always yeah. those are things that seem to to pop up quite a bit in uh in in the different final fantasy games and there's always a theme of of something is getting ready to either destroy or fundamentally change the world. Yeah. And we have yep, to decide absolutely. we have to decide if that's a good thing or a bad thing. So the first thing I did when I decided I wanted to make uh, Lost Legend is I sat down and I have extensive experience of some of the Final Fantasy games and I've played most of the others. Okay. Um uh, and I had to decide because there are kind of two main categories within Final Fantasy is what I decided. There are the sevens, eights, 
tens, thirteens, uh, uh, even fifteen to a degree, all that kind of sits in the middle to me. Um, where kind of you you've got that very sci-fi element. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you're you're going to go into space at some point. Um, you're going to have uh, you know, the 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 kind of the the futuristic city that you turn up to at some point, and so on and so on and so on. And then you've got the the nines, the twelves, um, and I, you know, they're they're slightly uh, even the fours of the world, and they're slightly less. I mean, I think you do go to the moon in four, don't you, for the last boss? Yeah. But yeah. <laughs> um, but it it feels a lot more fantasy. You know, it leans more into the fantasy side than the sci-fi side. In in my mind, those games do. So you know, I I literally sat down and I made a list, and a lot of things that you've just said actually are on my list of things that <laughs> reoccur in those games. So, you know, um, things like um, uh, you said about summons. So, you know, having something that offers summons in the game is, is basically a vital, if you're going to claim it's a, it's a Final Fantasy-esque game. Yeah, okay. Um, having uh, one thing you didn't mention, you mentioned the world-ending thing, and I've got someone who wants the power of a god, because that's pretty standard. Okay. Um. You know, you've got your Sephiroths, your Ultimaceas, and your, you know, all of those guys. Um, what's his name in 15? Uh, bad guy. Oh, Whose um, name I can never remember. Oh, I know who you're talking about. They Because they released the thing where you get to play him for a little bit. Indeed. Uh, um, that guy. You know, they, they all want the power of a god for whatever reason. You know, right. they, they have their own reasons. Uh, Kafka. You know, they, they all want their power of a god. So, um, but there is always also a dark knight in inverted commas. Um, sort of a single standalone person who's actually stronger than everyone else who's involved. Okay. Um, okay. And that you know that's your Cephas uh, in eight. It's your Sephiroth clone one, um, who is the the clone that you're following and fighting through the first half of Final Fantasy VII uh-huh. because he's actually the clone, not the real Sephiroth. Right. Right. Because he's got the one tattoo on his hand um, that we do that we do actually get told. Um, <laughs> and it's very rare that that person is the real bad guy. Right, you almost always have a straw man enemy who you're you, you're focusing on as the enemy, and there's someone else who's the enemy. Uh, again, another brilliant example of that is in ten, where oh, it's all sin. You know, you got to stop sin. You got to deal with sin. No, Yevon are actually the bad guy in that game. Right, right. Uh, the the four members of Yevon, or or in eight, you know, Idea. She's awful. She's a monster. No, 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 no. Actually, she's being controlled. Yeah. You know, and, and you've got Ultimacia running around. By the way, guys, Final Fantasy spoilers. Sorry. <laughs> um, although if you haven't played them by now, you should go play them because I haven't spoiled them enough to make them bad games. That's true. He's just saying a bunch um, of names now, and uh, that might not exactly. mean anything. <laughs> yeah, I, I, yeah. Um, you know, uh, all all of this stuff is all kind of stuff um, that exists in every game. And another one that exists in every game is there's something that happened a decade ago or so that totally changed the shape of the world. That's another thing that's very common. Um, uh, in in uh, Final Fantasy X, obviously, Sin comes every 10 years. Um, in Final Fantasy VIII, um, you know, the, uh, Galbadia invaded most of the world and then stopped. Uh, that was maybe 15 years ago. But, but you know, I mean, it's, it's in that region. Um, and, and I looked at all of these things that, that happen and um, I thought, okay, how do I integrate this into my world and make my world have all of these things? Mm-hmm. And what I came up with was uh, the idea around crystals. So uh, crystals are a very core part of many Final Fantasy games, as I'm sure everyone knows. Um, 
And I decided that uh, basically what happens is there is a cycle where crystals appear within the world. And crystals offer people the ability to symbiotically connect with what's known as an ethereal. Now, ethereals are effectively summons in this, in this game. But they are also the only beings who can harness magic. So corporeal beings cannot use magic directly. Ethereals can, and they have to be connected to a corporeal being in order to manifest and appear in our universe. So when the crystals appear, I'm sure you can imagine, any old kingdoms, any old rivalries, suddenly, boom, they're really powerful, right? There's, there's a balance of power change, which always leads to a war. Oh, yeah. All right? Oh, yeah. Uh, because it's bound to. You know, hu human nature, oh, yeah, well, we're more powerful than them now, we can invade them, and then other people get drawn in, and you end up with a big sort of world war. Um, and at the end of that war, the ethereals vanish. And no one entirely knows why or how or what happens to them, but they vanish. And then we have 30 or 40 years of peace, and then the ethereals reappear. So it happens roughly every 50 years or so. And the idea is that um, the war happened, you know, back a couple of decades ago, and they still haven't really started to vanish. So the ethereals are still all there. Huh. And no one really knows why. You know, this is kind of a mystery. And obviously, I'm, I'm going to say it is explained in the game. I'm just not going to spoil you as to the reason, <laughs> because it's awesome okay. if I say so myself. Um, but, uh, you know, what happens is, um, you know, the, the, a lot of the crystals that were used for, uh, for these ethereals um, are actually now used as power sources in the modern world because they generate quite a lot of power. The ethereals can't manifest in this case, but, but you know, you can wire them into an electrical circuit and it'll power it. So power stations have a whole bunch of crystals in. Um, there are robots that walk around that have crystals in, you know, and, and, and they're actually robotic um, sort of police and so on that are run by the winning empire from the war who became a company, um, Stardust Incorporated. <laughs> um, and, uh, and, and, you know, these robots walk around and they do their thing and Stardust, you know, uh, runs, you know, supplies power and and computers and and food and and pretty much everything um to pretty much everyone in the world you know they they rule the world they just don't rule it through being a police state they rule it by being a company for the most part it's funny because because as you're describing this i'm like yeah you're, you're pretty much describing almost every um almost every single setup for for these different final fantasy games too uh-huh yeah, I mean, and, and that was really that was really what I was going for. You know, I was going for this is unique. It's different. It's got its own flavor. Mm -hmm. Um, actually, I I explained all of the spoilers as well to my graphic designer, and he asked if I was on LSD. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, then you're you're definitely uh hitting the Final Fantasy, uh, indeed, in, in game marks right there. <laughs> it, 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 indeed, that was exactly what I thought. <laughs> And um, you know you've got you've you've got factions within this. You know you've got your your kind of your avalanche or or what do they call it? Nora in Final Fantasy Thirteen. Oh, yeah, you've got yeah. you've got those resistance groups um, who you know who want to kind of overthrow Stardust. They think that it's a police state in all but name, and you know and they want to overthrow it. And you know there are those characters running around. Um, there are obviously the the kind of the 
the innocents who don't really want to be involved and and you know get sucked into things um there are the 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 other cities that stardust defeated in the uh in the big war and you know they they still they never really recovered so there are those there's even one city that's actually been in name besieged for 15 years um in reality they aren't you know this is one of the ironies you know that they're, they're besieged in inverted commas but in practice they kind of let people through and it's <laughs> not a big deal um but but like it's kind of like yes officially you are besieged uh, and there's this there's this city there and then obviously anyone who knows final fantasy will know that you know there's this big kind of ancient thing that's going on that's the explanation for everything that's happening right now you know your your calamity from the sky if you like from final fantasy 7 okay or indeed where sin came from what on earth's going on with zanakind in final fantasy 10 right uh grand pulse in 13 uh yeah I, I could go on and on and on but i'll stop um <laughs> and and there's you know there's there's this aspect in that story as well i don't want to spoiler you um for it because i'm i'm actually really proud of of how nicely it's come out the game that i ran um you know we only explored maybe a tenth of what there really is in the world uh in in like 15 sessions and the guys who played uh you know they said yeah this absolutely feels like playing a final fantasy game you know i've i've really enjoyed it and that's you know that's that's what i wanted that's what i wanted to achieve i wanted to achieve I feel like I'm playing Final Fantasy right now, and it's awesome. So what types of characters are people going to be able to play in this one? So this is a really interesting one. Uh, I mentioned earlier about ethereals, uh-huh. and every single character can either play a corporeal or an ethereal. You then pair up, right? So the actual in-practice number of bodies walking around is about half that of your actual team. You don't have to be, you don't have to be a possessed, they're referred to. Uh, when they're combined you don't have to be one of those um but you can be if you want to be and you can work together to to do that and there are mechanics around um working together and 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 compatibility because if uh corporeal and ethereal sort of consistently disagree and try to go different directions what happens is they pull apart and if you imagine like a rubber band when you get to a certain point the force is enough that it snaps back together and they merge and the ethereals are inherently immortal otherwise, but if they merge with the corporeal, they become mortal and they will mutate into a monster. And that's where the monsters come from in this in this Lost Legend universe. Okay, that was going to be one of my next questions then. <laughs> Obviously, monsters are absolutely vital, you know, to the thing. Right. So as a character, you know, you can play as a corporeal character. And when you play as a corporeal character... um you have a power tree. Um, it's not dissimilar to what you might know from Final Fantasy X, the sphere grid, or, or actually it's got some similarity to Skyrim as well, um, in that it's actually split Okay. Uh, based on what weapon. Um, so, you know, I sat down and thought, okay, what's the fundamental thing about a character in a Final Fantasy game? And honestly, the easiest way to categorize characters and the, the abilities that they have is by their weapons. Yeah, that's true. That's true. So I said, okay, uh, we've got one-handed swords, we've got two-handed swords, we've got, um, uh, you know, we've got thrown weapons like Yuffie in Final Fantasy VII. Uh, we've got unarmed like uh, Tifa or or Snow in Final Fantasy XIII. Um, we've got, uh, you know, uh, a lance like Sid or Kimari and, uh-huh. and so on and so on and so on and so on. Um, and you've got all those weapons. And if you're an ethereal, you get to choose a magic type. So white magic, blue magic... Black magic, and yes, I am offering blue magic in this game. Uh, I when you said that, that really I was, important. 
Yeah, when you said that, I was like, huh, I wonder how blue magic's going to work. So blue magic, um, there is a list of spells that you can learn through blue magic, as there is in many of the Final Fantasy games. Uh-huh. And uh, you have to learn them by being hit by them. Okay, okay. Um, it's it's the whole uh, enemy skill from Final Fantasy VII gotcha. way. Rather uh, gotcha. than, uh, obviously, uh, differently in different games. Um, in Final Fantasy IX, uh, I've just been replaying it recently. And, of course, you have to eat the <laughs> opponents, eat frogs. don't you? Yeah. Uh, yeah, you have to eat them. Oh, that's right. You have to eat the actual enemies. Which is which is fascinating. Uh, obviously, I don't want to deny things like uh, the Vincent kind of characters. Um, so there's a there's an opportunity to play a, with a shotgun or even a machine gun, actually, uh, for the Barrett fans out there. Oh yeah, okay. And yeah, you've you've really got a lot of a lot of possible options open to you. What if I wanted to play like a uh, a uh, one of my favorite characters, uh, Kate Sith or Kate She, depending on how you want to pronounce it. I'm not even going to try and pronounce that one because I get told <laughs> off every time I do. But if you want to play that particular character, um, I would probably model them as unarmed. I know they technically weren't because they had their trumpets, didn't they? Right, right. But I'd probably model them as unarmed and say, okay, you're, you're doing the unarmed thing and you'll get the unarmed kind of abilities. But one of the things that's, that's really nice about this and actually we introduced during playing um, is there was a character uh, that was playing unarmed called Broy Starling. And we decided that his uh, focused strike would be called Starling Strike. Right? Ah, so, okay. you know, um, Falcon punching everywhere. Right, right. <laughs> um, uh, and yeah, it goes Starling Strike um, and, and do, his, do his thing. And you, you absolutely can kind of minorly adapt these things to give you, you know, the, the slightly different stuff. If you wanted them more random, um, I've put a little bit of that in the throne weapon um, because I, I kind of went, okay, uh, I want a kind of a thiefy weapon. Uh-huh. So each of the weapons kind of has, has its own theme. Unarmed combat um, is very much kind of a, a, a fast punching, lots of punches, gotcha. right? So fast attacks, lots of them. Um, one-handed swords are sort of slightly stronger attacks, you know, it, it kind of based on the, the lightning yeah, uh, okay. clap, you know, kind of thing. Um, they're slightly stronger, uh, and they have kind of the the omni slash kind of direction that you can go. But you can also go kind of the more you know you can you can double your damage as well. So like the trees have three different branches for the most part, and you can go down whatever you want. Okay. Um, and then if you want the two handed sword, that's more based on kind of Auron and uh, and like the more defensive kind of tanky. Um, they call it Sentinel in 13, don't they? Um, yes. Kind of the, the more yeah. tanky kind of side. You can take a strike, and depending on how much strike you take, you're likely to dish out more damage in response. So kind of counterattacking. Um, you know, that's kind of where that's based. And, and the armor breaking and the magic breaking and that kind of stuff all lives in there. So so you mentioned you mentioned lightning, and I thought about lightning and, and squall, and I was like, okay, well, now i got to ask. Gun swords. Gun blades. Uh, so this is where um, <laughs> being a role-playing game comes in handy um, because you can absolutely do a gun blade and the way that you do a gun blade, it's not going to be something that you get right away, right? Mm. It's going to be something you build up to. So you'll start with either a gun or a one-handed weapon. Okay. And you can learn a second tree when you put aside... So the way you level up is actually through defeating enemies and you gain crystals and uh when you insert the crystals into uh, a weapon the weapon becomes more powerful and that represents your growth as a corporeal character okay. and when you uh when you are an ethereal what happens is your corporeal that you're linked to will um insert the crystals into their skin okay so like for example uh one of the ways that i visualize this for some people was killmonger from 
Black Panther. Ah, okay. And, you know, someone who is massively experienced and, and has gone around the world and so on might look a bit like Killmonger because, you know, they've literally stabbed in little little crystal shards all over their body. Huh, interesting. Right? Okay. Um, and, 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 you know, you just, you just keep going, right? Um, so uh, when you, if you are willing to put aside enough shards to open up a new tree, you just add a new tree. So if you want to do gunblades, what I would do is I would start with a one-handed weapon and then I would add sort of a uh maybe a shotgun or a or a machine gun depending on how you want the the feel to be the flavor to be and i'd say okay i'm now going to craft my gun blade and that then gives you the opportunity whereas on the other hand if you wanted to do say a one-handed weapon and two-handed weapon for example maybe you're kind of a cloud character you've got a massive one-handed sword and you use it one-handed and it's less powerful and then when you actually use it two-handed you can do more of the auron method of attack oh okay very nice so Gives you that really wide flexibility to do what you want to do with your character, which I think is absolutely vital for this game to work. You've definitely got a, a good scope of what you you knew, what you needed, what needed to be in this game to make it to make it feel right. And um, gosh, it just feels like it feels like oddly enough, every every time you've been when working on a different uh, era game that you've probably put aside something and said and i'll keep that in mind for lost legend yep that that (laughs) is absolutely the way it works i've got you know i've got about 20 actual folders for games and as you probably know lost legend is actually my 11th uh game although only 10 of them are actually era games one of them runs on the era d10 rule set you may recall uh battlecruiser alamo which i think i spoke to you about so it's not an era game not in an era universe it's very much richard's universe uh but the 10 era games that i've made including lost legend um i've got 10 more and literally every time i come across something i watch a movie or i play a game and i'm inspired i'll go ah i know and i go away and i've got a little uh a little notes uh a little notes page where i go okay these are the things I need to remember when I get around to doing this. <laughs> and uh, and yeah, I absolutely have done exactly that with uh, with Lost Legend. You know, I've it, it's it's funny because, you know, I, I made the assumption when I first started uh, that because I've been a fan of Final Fantasy games for, you know, since I've been playing games, really, I, I, I thought it would be, oh, that's fairly straightforward. You know, I, I mean, I know all this stuff. You know, I've played these games more times than I care to admit. <laughs> but but you know it took a lot of thought and effort and time to draw the threads together from these games and and what makes it final fantasy what makes it have that right feel is something that i really dedicate a lot of time and effort into thinking about this is this is something that i'm you know I, i i see a lot of licensed games go out on kickstarter and i'm i'm not bad mouthing any any company in particular I'm not intending to. I often see that the people who made the game weren't really fans of it. Like, they went away and they read up the stuff, and I, and I'm, this certainly doesn't apply to absolutely everything, but I've sat down, I've played board games, I've played, you know, I've played role-playing games where, oh, it's this thing. Oh, man, that's fantastic. I, I'm a really big member of that fandom. And then it's kind of like the mechanics weren't thought through, and the way in which you play wasn't thought through very well for how you might want to play as a fan of that actual series, you know, uh, okay. what the tangents might be. I, I gotcha. It's, it's... And that's something that I really wanted to kind of capture. I, I gotcha. You're, you're talking about, because I, I know what you mean. There's some games out there where it's like, they, they made this game, but then they put this sort of uh, this skin over it 
Monopoly for... being a really good example. Yeah, Monopoly is a great, a great example of that. Where you're like, this doesn't really feel like The Simpsons. This just feels like Monopoly. <laughs> Indeed. Um, and I really didn't want to end up in that situation. It does unfortunately happen with some licensed games and role-playing games as well. I don't like to see that. I don't want to create a game that's like that. So I think a lot of research is really, really important. And, you know, creating creating this world has been a, a genuine honor because I've been able to kind of put myself in the shoes of of people who've created games that have brought themselves, you know, brought, brought joy to thousands, uh-huh. millions, millions and millions and millions and millions. And, you know, to be able to put myself in those shoes and to try and build a world that lives up to those expectations, you know, it's it's an opportunity that I'm really, really glad to have had. And I, I hope that they, you know, should they ever come across it, I hope that they would think, wow, that really does, that really does actually you know, go to the right places. For our listeners, now as of the time of this recording, the Kickstarter hasn't even started yet. You Correct. Are, you are you are coming off of finishing one, um, getting ready to be in the middle of a of a completely different one, and gearing up for this one. Like I said, Ed's been a, a busy guy, and he's always busy. So <laughs> well, era forbidden, uh, which has just finished, and and even only finished a few weeks ago, when when people will be listening to this, uh-huh. was actually you know it was it was virtually finished, you know before the Kickstarter began, and uh, there's just a few bits and pieces of artwork that I'm waiting on from Sophia, who I've been working with for five years. I've got no doubt that she's going to deliver it. I don't see any reason to hold up Lost Legend, waiting on, you know, a couple of bits of artwork. I, I'm going to deliver that so far ahead of time; it'll make people's heads spin. Because <laughs> uh, I think I think I committed to March next year, and you know I, I expect I genuinely think that I might be delivering it before the Lost Legend Kickstarter begins. I, I might be a week after that, but it's going to be in that region. Oh wow, that's very cool. That's very fast. <laughs> um, it, 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 it's ready. You know, it's like it's it's all written. It's all proofread. It's all checked. It's all laid out. It's all dealt with. And I'm literally just waiting for Sophia to deliver me the demon bestiary and the cover. Oh, wow. That's it. It's done. Okay. And and the artwork is absolutely stunning. I mean, I, I'm actually doing a disservice to Lost Legend by calling the artwork for Forbidden absolutely stunning. Because the artwork for Lost Legend is breathtaking, breathtakingly beautiful. Uh, the the artists that I've had on board for this have been absolutely brilliant, absolutely brilliant. I am expecting to launch it, all things going correctly, um, on the fourteenth of October. It might end up being the fifteenth. Um, there are a few things um, because of the way that it's falling. Um, I'm actually waiting on a couple more pieces of artwork for the video. Um, I expect them to come in shortly, but they aren't quite done yet. So um, I don't want to give you a you know kind of a half-assed video. So I am absolutely hoping that it will launch on that day. It might be a day or two later if things go a little bit off. You never can be 100% sure. But gotcha. I certainly think it'll be during that week. Okay. Yeah, and when and those of us who've uh, done who've backed stuff with Kickstarter before, we we know how that goes. Um you, you want it to be one date, but but inevitably something happens that either you know, well either you get to actually launch on that date or you might have to, you know, Kickstarter might change there their policies or something comes up that you have to delay it like a day or two. You're, you're not crazy enough to try to have one running while you've got another one still going. Exactly. Or, or just finishing exactly. it. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> oh my gosh. Uh, 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 slight tangent here. Cause I remember 
the before the 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 approval process on on Kickstarter, it seemed like you could just put anything up. Because I I remember some guy putting a a thing up there where his whole thing was he wanted to raise money so that he could make a like a grilled cheese sandwich or something. Tejo salad or yeah. Yeah, Yeah. and I was so mad because I was like, damn it, I was gonna do that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, they've they've got a little more. They've got a little more. um, Shall we say strict? And and yeah, uh, the the sandwich incident aside there's there's a whole bunch of other reasons for that too and that's and that's a good thing so i'm i'm sitting there looking at my shelf i'm looking at some of my my era books i've got here and i'm um in particular i i see what is it the empowered sitting on my bookshelf and uh and i'm wondering so so how how big a book is lost legend how how big do you think anticipate that because you've got some of the era books are these uh pocket books which are, mm-hmm. are nice and small and they they well if your if your pocket's a little bit bigger if you're wearing cargo pants or something you can easily shove it in your pocket but but then empowered um there's no way i could get that in my pocket uh i think you just need bigger pockets (laughs) um yeah no um obviously as you say we we do some which are a5 size uh international a5 and some which are a4 size this is going to be a, a larger book so it'll be um era survival's core rule book is 230 odd pages and uh era the empowered is 290 odd and i expect era lost legend to be between those two uh probably towards the top end because i never shut up Uh, (laughs) there's always more to write there's always more to write and i never want to stop and and i expect it to be more towards the top end of that so sort of 280 pages or so somewhere around there is roughly what i'm targeting at the moment it may come down a bit i do try to cut things out um, if they're not entirely necessary, because that brings the cost down for everyone, right? Oh yeah. I don't, I don't have any desire to sort of take money just so I can, uh, you know, just just revel in my world. Much as that would be lovely, <laughs> um, I do accept that you know you guys have to pay for it, and if there are more pages, then it has to be more expensive. So, right. Well, that's yeah. what the that's what the zine's for, right? So that you can uh, then yes, yes, it is. So yeah. that you can ramble on about that that one particular topic that you wanted to talk about so bad that that you had to cut from the <laughs> yeah i mean there's there's so much stuff coming up the 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 fourth zine um is due for november mm-hmm. um i've actually half written it already so um i'm i'm nice and ahead of game and uh, and the theme of it uh for anyone out there who's interested is warm stories for cold nights Ah, um, okay. so we're going to be focusing on the story side so we we did some mechanic stuff we did some faction stuff um we did some campaigns for everything and and now what we're going to do is we're going to offer some you know some some story for everything um and the main feature of it is actually near the consortium story which uh jennifer Martin and i wrote for a, a short story collection anthology submission and it was turned down so i thought okay well fine in that case, I'll publish it. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll do it. Um, and I'll put it in the scene so everyone can enjoy it. Because uh, it's a really, really interesting story. Really great for sort of the perspective of the resistance. Okay. Um, and a little bit of an indication that not everyone sees themselves as the perfect people uh, just because they're... So that's quite interesting. Where's a good place for our, our listeners to go and find uh, pretty much all of this Every everything that that uh, Shades of Vengeance is putting out, including where can they go to find to locate these, get a hold of these zines and such. So at the moment, the zines aren't available. Uh, if you missed the Kickstarter for now, 
you're out of luck. But I have some good news for you because what we're doing is uh, while the zines themselves individually are not going to be available, you are going to be able to get one to four all in one volume, which we're putting together. It was one of the Kickstarter rewards that will deliver one to four as, as a single physical volume uh, to backers. And we're going to be making that one available rather than the individual zines. Oh, that's um, cool. I, yeah, I mean, so, you know, you have to wait a bit longer. Um, and certainly you've missed the, you know, you missed being the first to know about the um, the living campaign. And if you are a member of the Eurozone subscriber base, you are allowed to submit living campaign stuff now. You're the first ones who are allowed to. So, you know, there are some advantages to, to getting it first. But um, if you want to get the Eurozone, uh, it will be coming out um, as a single volume for all four that we've done this year. Um, and that'll be available uh, along with everything else on our store, which is at www.shadesofvengeance.com slash store, surprisingly. Um, if you want any information on any of our games, uh, you can always uh, you can always uh, check out our website. The other thing to do is uh, don't forget to check out, um, depending on you know what your preference is, either our Discord, and I'll give John a link, or you can check out um, our Facebook group, uh, the Official Era Games Facebook group. And you can uh, you can go on there. Um, I keep a very close eye on there. So if you have any questions at all, I'm always happy to answer. Because, uh, yeah, all I really want to do is just help people enjoy and, and, and play the games. And uh, you can always find um, some sort of Shades of Vengeance thing going on on Facebook. Uh, not Facebook. On a Kickstart. Uh, there's, there's probably... On Kickstarter. Yeah, there's, there's, there's always one going on. <laughs> there, there is there is not one going on at the moment of this recording actually oh, but there, there is not but by the time this comes out there certainly launches on be. monday <laughs> next one launches on monday and then lost legend obviously about a week later <laughs> so um uh yeah i mean uh and of course uh we haven't really talked about it in detail and i don't think we have time but um obviously we create comics within the era of the empowered and era of the consortium universes uh-huh um we uh we also we've also done a few audio dramas this year um both in the era of the empowered and era of consortium universes and i believe i'm under the impression that someone is in the middle of writing one for era survival and the reason i'm only under the impression that someone is not actually me oh um i've been asked uh, i've been asked to edit it when it's written um which uh which should be very interesting so yeah we we're we're always busy over here um, nothing's new there. Yeah, we're 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 going to keep being busy. I hope for a long time. Oh, it it definitely sounds like it. It sounds like you've got a a, a pile of stuff that's that's in the works to be to to like you said, keep you busy for for quite some time. This has been really cool. This has been really fun. Um, especially since I'm like I said, a, a huge Final Fantasy fan. So getting getting to talk to you, Ed, about this about Era Lost Legend, your your love letter to Final Fantasy. Uh, I'm really looking forward to it. I think it's going to be exciting. I think it's going to be a, a lot of fun. I'm really looking forward to seeing um, all the little, the little, the little nods and winks that you put in there to the different things, and 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 being able to go, well, wait, how would this character work? Oh yeah, here's here's the mechanics for that. I'm that's going to be really exciting. I'm really glad you're looking forward to it so much. I super super am. I, I I can't wait to show this to the world. <laughs> And our listeners will not have to, well, they won't have to wait very long at all because it'll be going on, I'm sure, as uh, when this episode actually comes out. So that'll be great. So everybody listening, go out there and back it right now. Do it. I also should say, uh, just in the interests of that, we have some great stretch goals planned as well, uh, including a 
what you might refer to as a Turks expansion. Okay. Um, which is something that I thought would be a lot of fun. And uh, we've also got, uh, if, if you want to know what it's like to play, we've actually put some up on our YouTube. We've put an actual play uh, that I recorded with a, a few volunteers. It went really, really well. And uh, I, I've put it up on YouTube and I'll be releasing sort of it's episodic um, for the single session that we did so far. I mean, we're, we're, we're actually in the process of arranging another one, but um, it's episodic mm. for that, about half hour episodes. And uh, you can check that out on our YouTube. Again, I'm sure John will put a, uh, put a, uh, a link for you. Oh, yeah, I will definitely get these links out on our show notes. Um usually when i usually when i have it on uh in our show notes i have a section on there that says links of vengeance and that's where i put all that stuff <laughs> yeah yeah i remember that <laughs> <laughs> all right well uh well yeah we've been been talking quite a bit ed so um i'm gonna let you go now uh it has been a pleasure once again talking to you i look forward to having you on uh next time for whatever it is that you're going to be talking about whatever your next Kickstarter is for, for and such. I'm sure there'll be something really exciting pretty soonish. So if you're a fan of era survival, watch this space. Hmm. Mm. All right. Well, thanks again, Ed. You're very welcome indeed. And thank you very much for having me. Hey there, kiddos and widows. DJ Werewolf here. We're talking up some gaming with some special guests from the Swarmcast podcast. They are blowing things up with some crazy, hazy memes. I got Sock Med Empress, Jelly. Hi, DJ Werewolf. It's really great to be on your show. I've been listening since this show existed, and... And I got via phone the SCPC host named the Toast. (laughs) I've been a big fan since. Toast? Toast? What are you doing on the phone? Huh? Jelly? What are you doing there? I thought we were supposed to call into this radio show. Call? Radio? (laughs) Little orange buddy. This is a streamocast. <laughs> Streamo what? We're online, baby. Streaming through the clouds. Oh, seriously, Toast? I'm not in some studio. I'm snipe facing in some remote loke. Snipe face? Remote loke? Ah, these words. I feel like I've wandered into some sort of alternate reality. Oh, that's an April. Huh? Future obscure reference. Anyway, I'm digging your retro vibe, toasty hosty, yeah. Um, thanks? So, you've been gathering over a million memes a minute. Wow. Yeah, well, you know, we understand how important it is to... Wait, 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 what? Yeah, babies, at this rate, you are completely dominating the meme wars. Meme wars? Uh, hang on there, streamheads and pronouners. I just got this in. There's some sort of giant robot making its way downtown right now. Jolly, <laughs> what did you do? Uh, uh, I, I just wanted to... Oh, boy. I just wanted to ask to have great social media presence. Well, we're doomed. Connected the no-fomo, no-mo to that enigma of combination thing in the studio. It was 
supposed to be harmless, you know. I, I just wish there was a way to stop this. Hey, hang on, oh. hang on. Wish. Oh, no. That's it. The monkey's wrench. Ooh, you get down, my orange brother. <laughs> Cursed monkey's wrench, if I recall. I've got to get back to Gravy John's locker and get that wrench. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You go get him, Toast. I believe in you, big brother. Swancast has bugged me this for you. Yeah, you got the good, bad, and other stuff to tell you. So listen up to our board and review. You really like it, or I'll make you eat your shoes. <laughs> Trampoline Zombies by Twilight Creations, Inc. For two to six players, ages eight and up, plays in about 20 minutes. Every now and then, you just fall apart. Trampoline parks are fun, unless you happen to be a zombie. Your body parts don't seem to stay where they should. Now you have to put yourself back together. Maybe you can grab the better body parts, you know, the less icky ones. Trampoline Zombies is a game where you need to reassemble your body with the, net, with the best arms, legs, and heads you can find. Once a player completes their zombie with this unique push-your-luck game mechanic, the zombie with the most points wins. All right, so who was playing Trampoline Zombies? That would be Ruby. Minnie. Calvin. The Corn. And a uh, very stunned John. <laughs> <laughs> so... This is going to be hard. What's the good thing we could say about trampoline zombies? The cards feel nice. <laughs> yeah. We all universally agreed the cards feel nice. They're Fe- For a game that's made for, for younger uh, players, uh, they're durable. They're cute cards, art-wise. Sure. Mm. We'll, we'll, we'll say that. It plays within the 20 minutes. It definitely it plays quickly. It does play within the 20 minutes. Thank. It does not overstay its welcome. <laughs> But um, I'd rather stroke the cards than play the game. So, yeah, moving into the bad. Which moves into the bad category. Don't everybody go at once. Ruby. The rules. I literally read them word for word. There's not a lot of rules, so you'd think it would be an easy game, but it doesn't really answer your questions about the things that come up. As you play... Now, I will say, if you play the game at least once when you muddle your way through it, you realize why the rules are written the way they do and it makes sense, and I think the second time you play the game, it might be more fun and understandable. If you choose to play the game the second time. Correct. Fair enough. Okay, so... I would give it at least one more shot now that I've played it once and we've seen what actually... how it plays out. Okay. But for the most... For the most part, uh, not a great rule book. Uh, No... It's not. Okay. I didn't like the fact that it's like, well, I don't know what this card does. I know I have to figure out what it says on the rule book. So now i got to ask in front of everybody, hey, what does this do? Right. Just in case I have this card. Right. And, and, <laughs> and I think unanimously we all agree that the the back of the card should should have some sort of marker as to what Which body part? part they are. Correct. So essentially with this game yeah. is you have a completed zombie, a large card, oversized card in the middle of the table, and then you have a left arm, a right arm, a left leg, a right leg, and a head. All of their backs are identical, but you do have to separate them all out. You do have to shuffle each pile because that's what you're drawing from in the game. Right. And I think for younger players Correct. and for some older players, uh, left and right is kind of challenging. <laughs> <laughs> I, that was my bad stuff. I think that was all of our bad stuff. Mm-hmm. And I guess we didn't quite understand. And there's no real. There's the push, no real. There's no real reason not to push your luck. 
because right. you're more likely to get doubles than you're not. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're all we were all playing going, God, it's like almost impossible to bust. And the Nini <laughs> busts on her first roll. first roll. Right. So And the second. Uh, so <laughs> that's true. So oh I'm not sure if there's much for the other category. Um, uh, well, there was also no oh. real, no real definition of what you do with discarded cards. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So we were just like, well, let's put it on the bottom of that deck. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. Uh, so hey, other category. If you want to uh, liven up this game a little or make it a bit easier to play, uh, put the middle part on a lazy Susan or something like that that rotates. <laughs> I can see cards flying everywhere. Well, I don't. I don't. I'm not saying give it a give it a big spin. But you don't want to <laughs> put it on a motorized one. Not, <laughs> I'm not saying play it like Wheel of Fortune. I'm but saying that would liven it up, right? <laughs> to liven it up, like set it to on fire. To liven it up, yeah, set it on fire. <laughs> All right, my other, and this is kind of a good. It's more of an, you know, when you have a completed zombie from the torso and all the parts, it's cute looking because they're all mismatched and stuff. Uh-huh. So it's cute. Yeah. If you okay. have an adult playing with for, a kid. For cute zombies. Yeah. yeah. I, I'm not sure I, well, eight, age is eight and up, I guess. Is it eight and up? It's eight and uh, up. I think it's eight and up because they have to say eight and up. They can't say yeah. six and up. Yeah. Because of zombies. Yeah. This would be a good game for, for I mean, a, few eight, a few eight-year-olds and one adult to play. Yeah. But not for, like, a bunch of adults and a teenager to play. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So this was t- Trampoline Zombies by Twilight Creations. Boy, yeah, yeah, This was Zombies Junior by Twilight Creations, Inc. It is for two to six players, eight years and older. And is to play in roughly 45 minutes. Playing outside just got serious. Your family, friends, and neighbors all trying to bite you. And now you've had enough. You're ready to put them in time out. Get out of here while you can. You've got a baseball bat, a narf gun. Narf. Narf. It actually narf. does say narf gun. A narf gun and a plan. It's, t- it's go time. Fun for the whole family. You can play against each other with a buddy or as a group. So this was Zombies Junior. Zombies. And who was playing? We have Ruby. Nini. Calvin. Brooklyn. And myself, John. Hey. Yay. Yay. So uh, what's something good we could say about Zombies Junior? It plays faster than Zombies, the regular game. That's true. It certainly does. There's at least two of us here that have played Correct. the regular Zombies game. And other iterations of it. Right. <clears throat> it was fairly easy to learn, pretty quick uh, to pick up on. So that's always a bonus. It was fun. I don't know. I guess because it was fast, it was okay. It yeah, we have fail. a team here who didn't want to play. Yeah. No, I didn't want to play. It just wasn't what I thought it would be. Okay. Uh, the artwork was kind of cute. It was cutesy. Yeah. Um... Well, what can we say that's kind of, that's bad about zombies, Junior? So they were a bit top heavy, and they kept falling. Yeah, they all had really big heads and tiny bodies. Both the zombies and the players, the player character, the, the kids with the oh, kids oh, with the bats. just the zombie, the player yeah. minis, the players themselves. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's the only truly bad yeah. thing I could yeah. think of about it per se. Yeah. All right, then other. Okay, what can you say in the other category for zombies, Junior? Well, they, like I said, they did simplify down the rules from zombies, so it played quicker. 
Um, the other thing that I noticed that they did was the winning conditions. Instead of having to clear off the yeah. whole helipad, you only had to get to the center of the helipad. At least because they give you, what, three variants in there? Yeah. And we so, did classic. Right. So so that could easily go in the other category. Um, there are three variants to the game. So you could do co-op where you got to get everybody to the helicarrier. There's uh, teams where you can break off into teams of two. And you and your partner have to try to get to the helicarrier. Or there's what we did was classic, which is actually a lot like regular zombies, where you're just trying to be the first person to the helicarrier. So what they did with Junior is instead of killing zombies and being killed and sent back, they were like, you're going to time out. So they very much kidified the language of the game. So they aren't as scary. All the artwork is kind of cartoony versus gruesome like the original. Yeah. Um they, they, they kidified it. They really did. So any negative type of words like blood is turned to pow, bullet, or I'm sorry, bullets are turned to pow. To pow There's yeah. no reference to blood. Even like the zombie dog card is more kid friendly. Right. So if you've played the original zombies, you're going to see some cards that you go, oh, that's like this card out of the regular right. game, only it's, it's a little bit more friendly. What about for you guys who've never played the original zombies before anything you want to put in the other category for it uh not, nothing i can think of that would really fit in that it was a nice combination of of cards and and board game but okay it definitely played within its time, time. it did so, it could have unlike unlike zombies which takes hours and hours and hours to play depending on how many of the expansions you throw in there <laughs> on it all right, so this was Zombies Junior by Twilight Creations. So, uh, zombie, march over to your nearest game store and play this. Monster Crunch, the breakfast battle game by Big G Creative LLC, uh, with a little shout out to General Mills. Two to five players, ages nine and up, plays in about, playtime says uh, 20 minutes. Which monster can eat the most cereal? Play as one of five monster cereal characters in a battle to see who can eat their cereal first. Take turns playing your cereal into your bowl, but you've always got to beat the last card played. Earn milk tokens that let you combine cards for bigger bites and choose the right time to play your monster's special powers. It's a fast-paced game of strategy in which that monster that munches the most wins. So this game is currently being reviewed by myself, John. Ruby. Calvin. Nini. Bacon. Seems breakfasty enough. Uh, so what's some good stuff we could say about this? And yes, when we say it's Monster Crunch cereal, we should all say which, which uh, General Mills oh. monster we actually played. Like, I played uh, Frankenberry. I was Booberry. I was Count Chocula. I was Fruit Brute. I was Fruity Yummy Mummy. Yum. It actually says that on your card, too. Yum. Yum. So what's some good stuff we could say about Monster Crunch? It's cute. It, very cute. It definitely captures... Each of those cereal monsters. Nostalgic. Yeah. The box looks like... Looks like a... It's a about the size box. of a breakfast cereal box. Yeah. <laughs> Each of the back of our cards look like the boxes to the uh, cereal boxes. Um, I think the components seem to be well put together. They could handle a little bit of abuse between it being cardboard and a decent type of card. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it wasn't too, it wasn't hard to learn. It was really easy yeah. to, to get into, and it played pretty fast. Yeah, the rules were pretty simple. It's really strategic, too. Yeah, it had a good amount of strategy to it. So what's some bad stuff we could say about Monster Crunch? It didn't take 20 minutes. Yeah, it definitely went over the 20-minute time mark. Okay. Yeah. But not by, uh, not by a ton. Not by a ton. You're right. But it, it wasn't a... Right. It did not overstay its welcome. 
It did not. I would say it was closer to a 40-minute game. I agree. Um, I think bad is it did not come with samples of each of the cereals in the box. <laughs> okay, not a joke bad is I think some of the players felt like their abilities, there were a couple abilities that just seemed yeah. useless. Yeah. yeah. I had an ability that was really hard to get to work because of how the game actually works. And Calvin said it. Versus, like, Blueberries was easy. I was draw two cards or double a single card you play. Right. I mean, was there nice. was no problem using mine mm-hmm. whatsoever. Where's Count Chocolate? You had a card that what, let you was like, basically uh, give up a give point. Up a, give up a, a point a or card. a card point right. for a milk, which you can get by just passing anyway. Yeah. Yeah, I wasn't sure. It seemed like those abilities were slightly off, but they. The, I do think that the abilities matched the characters. Oh, yeah. If not for nothing else. Theme-wise. Uh, yeah. Like, you know, yummy mummies and stuff. Okay. Yummy mummies. Uh, so that's bad category so what's what can we say in our other category for monster crunch i love the box yeah it's got that whole nostalgic uh breakfast cereal appeal to it i think if you have this out on the table as well people be like "Ooh, what's that it's colorful Mm -hmm. yeah there's not meeples or anything like that but all the the colors match up to the cereals and it's it it looks neat on the table yeah setup was really easy because of that similar kind of thing it's easy to go, oh, you're Count Chocolate, here's your stuff. You get this nice cardboard bowl of cereal which doesn't taste as good as it looks. <laughs> yeah. I really wish you hadn't eaten my cardboard well, yeah. cereal bowl there, dude. I got Re- hungry. Return it in about 48 yeah. hours, right? <laughs> uh, that's, that's fine. <laughs> All right, so this was Monster Crunch, the breakfast battle game. By Big G Creative and General Mills. <laughs> It was a board game reviews from the Swarmcast. If you don't like it, then come over and kick your... Tail! Tail! <laughs> Toast meant to say tail. Toast. Ooh. Why do you do that? Oh, yeah. Hey, this is Toast. Um, go ahead and leave the Swarmcast a message. Remember our number, area code 803-470-4439. Maybe we'll use our message on the air. Who knows? Yeah, well, you know, at one point I used to be on the show when I... Oh. <clears throat> Ooh, that was some spooky, scary stuff, wasn't it? My little, uh, uh, pod-faced, uh, potato heads. Ooh. Well, I don't know what's going to happen with a giant robot on the loose, uh, making memes everywhere. Ooh, and the cursed monkey wrench. Will Toast be able to undo everything that he and Jelly have done? Or you're just going to have to listen to the next episode of the Swarmcast podcast. Where we're probably, maybe not forget that we set this whole plot up so that we can finish it off. Who knows? You've been listening to the super spooky, super scary, weenie episode of the Swarmcast podcast. So, as Toast would say, it's over now. You can go back to your life or whatever you uh, want to, to make of it now, but you're probably never going to be the same. Ooh. Last thing I want to do is uh, uh, give a shout out to Midnight Syndicate at MidnightSyndicate.com for use of some of their spooky background music. 
I Fight Dragons at iFightDragons.com for that song you heard in our intro. MC Lars at MCLars.com for all sorts of uh, support and in music that he lets us use. And we're going to end the show with a super spooky, creepy number by Steam Power Giraffe. Check them out at steampowergiraffe.com. Oh, and uh, also uh, check us out on, uh, give us a good review on uh, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher Radio, or wherever it is that you find Dine on Podcast. And tell uh, friends and enemies about this. We're not that picky. Woo! So, until then, until next time, this was a super spooky Count Madman Manus saying uh, woo and stuff. Stupid cat meowing in the background. You know, if you're playing at home, you should take a drink whenever a, a podcaster's cat comes on and meows in the background. Trust me, you'll know what I mean. One moonlit night. One moonlit night on the bayou fog was violent The gators were all drinking tea In a dreamy pantsless glee I saw a suspended man A banjo holstered in his hands He had the biggest red suspenders I ever did see Golly gee, that's what I see He flipped the brim of his hat And this is what it said to me Mr. Robot, I am a suspender man and this banjo has shown me the promised land Now I'll play you a song, but in return You put the shiny corn right here in my urn I'll play you something fine My music's gonna blow your mind So I flipped my coin into his pot I gotta admit it wasn't a lot Two cents and then his fingers wriggled He plucked those strings and belched a giggle He tapped his foot, howled like a hound Ignited up the unholy and I ain't never, 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 Bucket and send him to the gnome trap down the wheel. Fun on his ideal while rolling back on your heels. Yeah, he played the two cent show. And just like that, he stopped playing. My jaw dropped to the floor. He cracked his neck and smiled at me and said, Buddy, you gotta pay for more. By then a crowd had swarmed the swap and was tossing in coin after coin So he cleared his throat and his fingers right And everybody shouted for Suspender Guy Call the vendors, big suspenders
suspenders That's what Grandma wants for her birthday They're bright red and awesome Even worn by possums Nobody wants their pants to fall down I might be one of two Even the ghost of Uncle Stu Yeah, he played the two-cent show By 4 a.m. the press was hot To spend the man on the front page spot Spenders were in and spats were out The girls all suffered from facing bouts The banjos flew off the shelves Sprouting wings with dreams of being played by suspender man But in the middle of February The fog turned to crimson red The suspender man disappeared Everyone was heels over head we found his suspenders and that old banjo sitting right here on his log. And though he's gone, that's what he gets for selling his soul to the bug. Big suspenders, put them in a blender. Three bat teeth and a black and gypsy eye. Bring it to a boil, release your moral coil.